Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lichtenstein. Today we are going to be talking about a very important topic, that of Kovea Itim Litara, is the obligation of having set times to learn only relevant for those who have retired or those who have saved enough money that they're able to take off some time from their work, or is it only relevant to those who are brilliant and really able to learn on a very high level? We are going to talk about what is necessary to stick with our kfiyas day in, day out, month in, month out, year after year for the long term, and we're going to talk about what is a valid reason to miss your kfiyas. Things indeed do come up, emergencies, and we'll talk about how about non-emergencies, what will be a valid excuse to miss the kfiyas, and can the kfiyas change over time? For example, when there are more demands at home or children are born, the wife needs the husband for whatever it may be during his learning, then we'll talk about also the interplay between earning a parnasa and the kfiyas. For example, are we required to lose out on Parnassa in order to maintain a kfiyas? And also, should we have the cell phone on if clients or others are trying to reach us during the kfiyas for our jobs? They have emergencies or important matters that they need to reach us for. Do we need to leave that cell phone outside of the base medrash or can we be fielding their calls even during our kfiyas? We're going to talk about all these questions and many more on today's show. We have an illustrious list of guests joining us today. We are going to start out with the well-known, the insightful time. Talmud Chacham, Rabbi Zev Cohen, the Rav of Adas Yishun in Chicago. We are then going to speak with Mr. Mark Salomon, who is the owner of A1 Appliance Repairs in Farakaway and those areas as well. Then we're going to move across the ocean to Rabbi Ilan Halberstadt in London, the Rav of Machzike Adas, who has been running a Kolo Boker for a number of years. And then we are going to speak with Mr. Ira Lipsius. He is a an attorney who has been Kovei eating the Torah in a very serious way for a number of decades. And at the end of the show, we are going to culminate with Rabbi Doron Lazarus, who is the director of executive sleep consulting. He is a sleep consultant, very relevant for our show, because if somebody is Kovei eating, especially in the morning, that often requires us to cut down on the sleep or to sleep well and effectively when we are sleeping. So we're going to have some insights from Rabbi Lazarus on the sleep aspects, healthy sleep aspects, as it impacts on Koveya Etim the Torah. Just to start out with the uh, Avort and Parshas Beshalach, we see uh, that the Pasuk tells us that upon exiting Mitzrayim, Vayikach Moshe es atzmos Yosef imo, that Moshe Rabbeinu took the bones, literally the bones of Yosef. Yosef was to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, so Moshe took it on personal responsibility for doing that, taking Yosef's coffin and taking it on the travels through the Midbar. And the Kliakar focuses on one important word here. It says, Vayikach Moshe, Asmos Yosef, Imo, together with him. What does that mean, Imo? So he explains as follows that Klal Yisrael were being involved when they're getting out of Mitzrayim. They had the imperative to, uh, quote-unquote, borrow or take gold, silver, clothing, and the like from the Egyptians, and they were involved in that. On the other hand, Moshe was involved in this mitzvah. And now that's why it says, Vayikach Moshe's Asmos Yosef Emo, he's taking it with him, not only in this world, physically taking the Atmos Yosef, but he's going to take it to the world to come with him. You can't take the gold, you can't take the silver, you can't take the materialism with you, but the mitzvahs 
you can take with you. And that's why it says Moshe took the Atzot Yosef together with him, not only physically in this world, but he took it as well in the world to come. Now, the Avnei Noizer, he says very interesting. He says uh, it's based on a Yalkut, that, uh, based on a Pasuk, that the Yalkut Darshans, Chacham Levi, Kach Mitzvah, somebody who's a real Chacham, he's going to take Mitzvahs. This refers to Moshe Rabbeinu at the time that Klaisho were involved in taking the Bluti out of Mitzrayim. Moshe Rabbeinu was taking the Atzmos Yosef with him. And he says, but truth be told, Klal Yisrael was also involved in a mitzvah. Taking out the booty from Yitzrayim was also a mitzvah, but there is a difference in the mitzvahs that Klal Yisrael was involved in and that Moshe Rabbeinu was involved in. Klal Yisrael certainly was involved in an important mitzvah, but the important mitzvah that they were involved in generated for them personal benefits. They were uh, becoming wealthy by taking the booty out of Mitzrayim. On the other hand, Moshe Rabbeinu, that's the Chacham Lev. His Chachma was, I'm going to focus on a mitzvah that is not going to have personal gain for me. It's just a mitzvah that I'm going to focus on, and that is an even more important mitzvah, and accordingly, says the Avnei Nezer, where it says, Vayikach Moshe, it's Atmos Yosef, even when you focus on the word Vayikach, Vayikach ain kicha lashon the lashon of taking, kicha means elevating, and it was Moshe Rabbeinu who was elevating himself through the mitzvah of taking the Atmos Yosef, that is it imperative on an even higher level. So we see here that we do have competing needs, competing mitzvahs, but sometimes there are mitzvahs indeed that uh, are on a higher level. And indeed, interestingly, that is something that we're going to talk about on today's show is when we have competing obligations, competing mitzvahs, because supporting a family, earning our parnasa is a mitzvah as well. It's an obligation that is required in the ksuba, but we do have that conflict for a time with being koveya e-team the Torah. So we do have those two competing mitzvahs. We have to earn a parnasa, but we have Talmud Torah, Talmud Torah, Kenega Kula, and how do we balance those two imperatives? So in fact, I got this show idea from someone who emailed me, and this was his concern. How do we balance everything? How do we juggle everything? How do we find time for working and family and learning? And in fact, I, I want to thank him. I want to thank him for the input and the idea, and also he even supplied some of the questions that he wanted to ask. And indeed, this is uh, an example. David often talks about the uh, concepts, ideas, show ideas that people send us. So indeed, we're very receptive and open to hearing uh, the ideas that the Tzibur out there would like to hear. And uh, this is a primary example of a very important topic that came from the outside. And I want to thank that individual who sent in this idea to headlines. Before we go on to our guests, I do want to give a quick overview of some of the halachas that will weave themselves throughout today's show, the halachas of Kovea Yitim Latara. There is a lot to talk about. I'm just going to focus on the few most relevant ones, but there is so much to discuss here. So I'm going to start out with probably one of the most famous Gemaras, Gemaran Shabbos, Lamed Aleph, Lamed Aleph, that says, Rava tells us that a time on Mea Ve'estrim that somebody is brought to Dean at the end of his life, and he's asked a number of questions. The first one being, Nasasav and Asata Bimuna, were you honest in your business dealings? And only thereafter, the second question was, Kavati Itim Torah, etc., etc. There happens to be a conflicting Gemara, last well-known Gemara and Sanhedrin, Davzayin Amur Aleph, Rav Amnuna tells us, The first thing that we're judged for, not like the Gemara and Shabbos that says, Nasata v'nasata v'imuna for being honest in business, but the Gemara and Sanhedrin says, in fact, 
what we are judged on initially, the first thing we're judged on is our limudatornit. And interestingly, fascinatingly, because everyone knows about the Gemara and Shabbos, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins like the Gemara and Sanhedrin and says as follows that Tchilas Dino Shaladam Al Talmud Torah. The first thing that we are judged on is Talmud Torah, our learning, and only thereafterward on the other activities that we did in our life. In fact, just coming to mind now, maybe we should ask a riddle on this. So we'll start with uh, a riddle on the show. We'll have to put the music in here. So the first riddle that we'll go through is, how do we reconcile that stira, that contradiction, that conflict between the Gemara and Shabbos that said, that the first thing that we are judged on is our ethics and business and the Gemara and Sanhedrin that says that we are first judged on Limud HaTorah. I'm familiar with the answers in Tosfos and brought by the Bach and others looking for fascinating reconciliations of this stira in the two Gemaras. Now we're going to move on to the question when to learn and we will talk a lot about this on the show getting various opinions on this when to learn and the Mishnah Baruch does focus on two reasons uh, that we should be learning in the morning based on the Gemara and based on the Torah and Shulchan Aruch. It says that right after you do your learning, your davening, you daven chakras, thereafter you learn but it can be the opposite order as well. The concept here is simply learning in the morning and the Mishnah Baruch two reasons. The second one is before we get so involved in the day and our parnasa and the emails and voicemails and texts and etc etc they will interrupt us it's very easy to not get back to our kfiyas do it in the morning when we don't have those interruptions. This is less known as well. Uh, the Gemara that we quoted at Gemara on Shabbos when it says Kavata itim la Torah itim means times times. It doesn't mean have a set time during the day, but times, plural tense times. The Marsha focuses on that and says, in fact, team. it has to be two times each day, one in the daytime and one at night. So that is very important. That's how we paskin in Shulchan Aruch as follows. In Shulchan Aruch, Hilchas, Talmud Torah, Chayav, Zman, the Talmud Torah. There's an obligation to have set times to learn. Bayom Uvalayla, during the daytime and the nighttime. It's not just one time, it's two times. During the day, during the night, Shinemar, based on the Pasuk in Yoshua, Vagisa Bo, Yomam Valayla. We should be involved in Torah learning day and night, at least once in the day and once in the night. Now, there, we can have a large discussion very lengthy discussion of how much to learn based on the Rambam. Nine hours a day. Is it three hours a day? Is it one hour a day? One more hour in the morning, one hour. Various opinions on this. I just want to bring the Mishnah The Mishnah all the way at the beginning in Simon Aleph. Simon Aleph says as follows when it comes to Talmud Torah, Hakol Taloi Lifnei Hashem Yisbarach. What is HaKadosh Baruch Hu looking at? This is a subjective standard. We can't say it has to be an hour a day, hour in the morning, hour at night, half an hour, three hours. That's not how it works. It's a subjective standard based on the abilities of an individual. So that is very important. I, I do want to just add... Again, another very important thing. We're talking about Kovea Etim Litorah. Oftentimes, people think that it has to be blocks of three hours, two hours. And if you have to do it two times a day, six hours a day, four hours a day, that is not practical. There's no way I can do it. It doesn't say the amount of time. Kovea Etim Litorah, the focus here is on 
the commitment. The focus is on the commitment, the consistency of doing the learning. So I will tell you, when I started working many, many years ago, Mike Fius, I was working at a very, very uh, intense company, and uh, Mike Fius was an hour in the morning. It was 6 a.m. I met my Chavrusa, and we learned the daf. We learned daf Yomi and Ashur. We were the only ones there, 6 in the morning till 7 in the morning, Shachris, and then headed off to work. On the way, I did listen to a Sony Walkman, listening to cassettes, uh, something that doesn't exist anymore, cassettes tapes. And that's something that I constantly tried to do when I had the opportunity. But it was an hour in the morning and uh, it was a very grueling long day. Ran out for Mincha, ran out for Marev and uh, got the, uh, actually oftentimes it was the late Marev uh, that I got. And then I was exhausted after a long day and my kvius was five to ten minutes of learning Aruch HaShulchan at night. This was the first year of when I was working when uh, that was my, what I was limited to. It was an hour in the morning and five, ten minutes at night. So a the key about a kfius is the consistency, and it's not only the amount of time. The amount of time is important, but the consistency is what we're really required to do when it comes to be koveya etim latar. Also, I do want to say, again, you'll hear this many times in the show, but the mornings, learning in the morning is absolutely critical. Learning in the morning before you have all the disturbances of the day, and also it's much easier on the family if one is learning in the morning when there aren't conflicts, when there aren't costs and as embarred mitzvahs and when you're needed for the family and the like, that is going to be early morning when there aren't conflicts, but when it comes to the night, it's more challenging. So that's uh, why many people are successful as having more of a kvias, a longer kvias in the morning and less so at night. Another option with the night kvias is before going to sleep. Every night before going to sleep, learning five, ten minutes, and that is koveya itim latora, as long as it's done on a consistent basis just want to flag an interesting halacha, fascinating halacha that is brought by the Birke Yosef. He says as follows, somebody who's a dayan, somebody who's acting as a judge, and uh, he is hearing a case in front of him, and let's say that he has a, uh, a kvius to learn at that time. It is permitted for him to judge a case during the time of his learning fears. And it's as if it is the Ololilmud. It's as if he is learning. That's his learning. Why did Dina Hainu Torah? Because judging a case in a basin is Torah. So that fulfills the obligation in the time of a kvius. You could alternatively judge, and that is your kvius. But then he says, he qualifies it as follows. He says, That only applies if you are not getting paid to act as a judge. So you're not getting paid. It's for free. And accordingly, you can judge, act as a judge, as a dying at that time that you have your kvius. And then he goes and takes a second step. And he says the same thing would apply if you have a melamed tinokos. If somebody is teaching children, teaching in a cheder, teaching in a high school, teaching in a yeshiva, and is getting paid. If he is getting paid, that does not count as kvius etim litor. The concept is doing it on our own time not at the time we're getting paid, because we have to show that we have a Muna and a Kaddish Baruch Hu, that our learning is not taking away from our Parnasa. That's the concept here. So somebody who's a Dayan and getting paid, or somebody who's a Malamed Tinokos and getting paid, that cannot fulfill the obligation of Koveya Itim Latora. And then he takes a third step. That uh, Those two steps he was quoting in the name of the Sefer Zichron Moshe. But here he says, this is the Birke Yosef, he says as follows, the Chida HaKadosh, he says as follows, Kvizet, Somebody who's learning in yeshiva and he's getting paid, 
at that time. For example, learning in kolal and getting paid for the time. That learning does not count for your kvius in learning. You have to add on. It has to be that you're going to come earlier, learn during the lunch break, or to learn after hours. But when you're getting paid, that is not called koveya itim the Torah. Those are the three steps. A dayan, somebody who is teaching, a rebbe, and also somebody who's learning in yeshiva, in kolal. If you're getting paid for the time, that's not koveya itim the Torah. And that he adds on as follows. V'yesh lechalek ketsas. We could say... That the third step, somebody who is learning in yeshiva and getting paid for his time, maybe indeed that is different. Maybe it's a little different. Now, I will say on that, that the Kafa Chaim brings this Birke Yosef who says, Maybe it's a little bit different. And accordingly, we have to be machmir and be sure to be koveya eating the Torah. Somebody who is in yeshiva getting paid, maybe it's a little bit different, maybe it's not. We have a suffix deraisa lechumra. Suffix deraisa lechumra, so you have to be machmir and be sure to be koveya during times that you're not getting paid for. And that's going to lead us to the second riddle of the day. Do we want to play the music again or not? I'll let the editor make a decision on that. And the question is... When the Birke Yosef says, Yesh lechale ketsas, maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe it's a little bit different when somebody is getting paid for learning. Maybe that does count as a kfius in learning. What did the Birke Yosef mean by maybe this is a little bit different? Just a couple more points before we go to our guests. When it comes to the quality of the learning, the quality of the learning, the Or Sadiqim says that at that time you were learning, you should View yourself as if you are not in this world, but you are in Gan Eden sitting in front of the Shechina. And accordingly, if that takes you, that's your view, that's your mindset, that will remove you from being disturbed, meaning... You will be sure to stay focused and you won't have that cell phone with you. You will be sure that you won't have hindrances. You won't have things that are interrupting you during your learning. And he brings a beautiful story of Rav Ephraim Argolius, the author of Mata Ephraim and Shari Ephraim. He was a big merchant. He was very big in business, very successful. But at the times that he was learning, he told his family, I am not to be disturbed, you should pre- very a little bit uh, a little bit strong language, but you, you should you should pretend that I'm I'm not in this world that I've passed away. And he says uh, he rivals based on a pasuk a gemara that uh, that in order to acquire Torah, it's Torah is acquired by somebody who's mamis atzmo Allah, That if you have to kill yourself over it, that is somebody who's going to be successful in learning Torah. So he says, pretend I'm not in this world. I'm not around to be disturbed. And so indeed, the, the language of Chazal ain't Torah the Torah can only be sustained with somebody who kills himself over it. So he says, pretend that I'm not around. Pretend I am dead. I don't want to be disturbed because I am focusing on my learning. Another important point that so many times we do have a kvius, but we have some extra time during the day. And it's brought down in a number of the, a uh, number of Meforshim say this. Rabbi Kirsch Horowitz brings it in the name of his father. Rabbi Pinchas Horowitz, the author of the Hafla, that COVID uh, Koveya itim Torah, the word koveya, kavati itim Torah, is based on a uh, a similar word to a pasuk in Mishle in Parakhafibay's pasuk Chafgimel. And there, the word, like kvius, it actually means to steal time, to steal time. So the question that we're asked is, you had so many things and important things and less important things going on. With all of those things that you had going on, did you steal time? 
for learning? Did you make sure that when you had a little spit spare time here and there and you were waiting online for something, did you pull that Mishnah out when you had a little bit downtime and you're waiting for the subway or your car broke down where you're always sure to have a Mishnah or a Chumash or a Gemara with you or an MP3 player that you could listen to a, to a shear. And an amazing thing, if we are grabbing, if we're stealing that time, two minutes there, five minutes there, I've heard amazing stories of people finishing Shas Mishnayas numerous times, bite-sized amount, a Mishnah here, a Mishnah there, and doing that day in, day out, every year, to have a number of Siyumi Man Shas Mishnayas and other things, there is amazing opportunity there. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. Now, let's go and hear from our wonderful guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Zev Cohen. Rav Cohen is the Rav of the congregation Adas Yeshua in Chicago, where he has additionally spearheaded many communal activities. And in 1999, he was also appointed the Rosh Kolel of the Fushan Mishpat Kolel, which is located in the Shul as well. Rabbi Cohen, thank you so much for joining us. Very welcome, Mrs. Kutz. Thank you so much. So, Rabbi Klein, as an introductory thing, if you could give us an overview of the, of the history of your, your kolel, including who comes and, and what did they learn in the kolel, that would be very helpful to frame our conversation. Okay, we, we brought Hashem our unusual show. Um, somewhere around 1999, I had been a Rebbe and, and in Skoki Yeshiva, and the show was growing. And the decision was, it was a very difficult decision for me, which way to go, to stay in the yeshiva or to stay in the shul. And uh, my Rosh Yeshiva Zatzal, Yeshiva of Long Beach together with Rabbi Levin Zatzal and Yibar Lakhaim Ramat Show, they all felt unequivocally um, that I should um, I should go to the shul full time. Uh, it was a challenge, not being in a yeshiva for the first time in my life on a daily basis. And um, I came to the shul, and then the shiloh was that during the day hours, um, what would happen in the shul, what should I do in the shul? And one of the people in shul said, let's make a curl in the shul. And uh, I had already started learning Chaysha Mishpat, so we started a, a Chaysha Mishpat curl, the first Seder curl. And we've been learning for the last 23, 24 years. We brought Hashem did a majority of, um, of Chaysha Mishpat over that time. And that curl, being in the shul, uh, propelled um, the shul to a different place. Very briefly, we have a Right now, we have a Kuala Baker that starts at 6 a.m., which I'd like to explain in a moment about, which is why I'm giving you this background. The Kuala Baker is 6 a.m. We've been learning Klesha Mishpah topics. A group of Balabatim between 10 and 15 Balabatim, from 6 to approximately 7.10, five mornings a week. And we've done many, many, many sugyas over the years, many sugyas over the years. That Kuala Baker um, then propelled a different group of Balabatim in the show to make a um, a Kolo Boiker from 8.45 a.m. till 
25 a.m. And in that Kail Baikir, we're also learning Kaishan Mishpat Inyanim, Kaishan Mishpat Inyanim, and those Kaishan Mishpat Inyanim, right now we're learning Babakama, we're learning the Gemaras in Babakama, we're learning with the, with, with, uh, with the, with, with some of the halacha. That then propelled Night Seder, in which we would um, start a Kol Erev, which is, the Kol Erev is learning uh, non Chesha Mishpat Halacha, we're learning Arachayim, we're learning Yeridea, and that created a second Kol Erev, in which there is a little learning Gemara. Now, I'm, tell, I'm telling you all this because I've been a rub in the show for 35 years. 35 years ago, there was no such thing as a Kol in the show. No such thing, at least not in Chicago. I didn't know anywhere else where there was a Kol in the show. I'm talking about a, a real first state of Kol learning 9.30 to 12.30, and the... Uh, you know, Right, no Baruch Hashem, we have 19 in light. Until then, there was Shi'urim and Shul, sometimes a few people at Bechavrusa. When I started in the Shul 35 years ago, we had um, one Shir, and um, and the Shul was, was basically closed until 6.30 in the morning. We had one minion for Shachlis at 6.45. There were a minion for Mincha Mayev Shkia time, and one night a week, we opened up for a Shir. That ended up two nights a week for two Shi'urim, and three nights a week, and I think that Maybe one could say that it all goes back to Lakewood and, uh, and the Mashgiach Satsal at the end of his life starting Kolum around the country and Balabatim being exposed to this in-depth type of learning Bichavrusa in a Kolum or maybe Shurim in Kolum. And that led to a new crop of Balabatim that um, wanted to be able to learn in a, in a, in a I would say, in a, in a fairly serious way or a very serious way. And that started this phenomena of Kirlo Boike and Kirlo Erev, and we now slaughtered another Kirlo in the Shul for recent retirees. Um, and it just uh, blossomed, or maybe you could even use the word exploded. But it's, Bliya and Hora, the Shul is open from 5 a.m. Till, till midnight. Wow. And, um, wow. So th- this is a, this is a and, real example of mitzvah goreras mitzvah on steroids. It's mitzvah goreras mitzvah goreras mitzvah goreras mitzvah. Right. And Bliya and Hora. I just, um, we started a second Seder curl with with 11, 12 young light right now learning Ebenezer. You know, I'm not obviously a participant in all of these events. I can't be. I'm a participant in many of them. Thanking the Valbatim and the Shul for uh, allowing it to work out that way. Um, but um, there, there's a different dogush in people's lives. And I, and I think it's important to say that, um, you know, I'm sorry for using the Shul as a reference over here, as a frame of reference. But we also have a Mishapura Seder, and we have a Musa Seder. And Ramat Hashel told me that the Beis HaMusa, for which Rabbi Yisrael was known for starting a Beis HaMusa, was not made for younger light in Yeshiva. The Beis HaMusa was made for Balabatim. Beis HaMusa was made for Balabatim. And if you want to hear the, the mantra that I often say, is that I have not finished all the Shulchan Aruch yet. I'm getting closer, and I would like to. But I can make a statement that nowhere in Shulchan Aruch does it say, Kishazavti Yeshiva, or Kishazavti Seminary, that I no longer have to steig. That concept, I think, has been the change, the sea change, that people understand, I may not be learning Yeshiva anymore, I'm not, I'm not, maybe I learned Kirtle for 10 years, and I'm, I'm working now, and I'm working eight hours a day, five days a week, or maybe longer, maybe shorter, but my frame of reference as to what I'm doing is based around the fact that I'm learning, whether it's in the morning, whether it's in the afternoon, whether it's in the evening. But my day, my day has a certain um, dogush, an emphasis of who I am. It defines me, of what I want to do. You know, I'm not, I'm knocking anybody, but when I grew up in America, the shul had, you know, the one-hour shear by the rove on Shabbos afternoon, and that was it, which was very good at that time. But, you know, but, but things have changed dramatically. And I think that change in, in what you want to talk about in Lima Torah has just been nothing short of incredible.
that isn't great. I guess that's I say Torah Kfa. That that's the Kfa. That's the Kfa. That's the Kfa. The Kfa is the Kfa is that uh, I don't just learn when I have a few minutes here and a few minutes there, which is a very nice thing also. But I'm Koveya time. No, no matter what it is in the morning, in the afternoon, or in the evening, I'm Koveya time. I'll give you a side benefit, Lamashal. The Koil that we started with 22 years ago with with with, with with the Ingolite learning question Mishpat was 9.30 to 12.30. So at 12.30 during the winter in Chicago, you could have Mincha. So he started a Mincha minion. So at a quarter to one, Mincha was over. So he started Musa Seder. And then, and then, matter how long it, we started Musa Seder when Rashach was Nifter, which was uh, uh, 2001. And uh, we've been learning Musa four days a week, Lili Nishmas Rashach, between six to 12 minutes a day. And we finished Mishil Shisharim, Ochas Sadikim, Derech Hashem, Chavis Lavavis, Shari Tshuva, Taima Devaira. That's another thing that I would like to emphasize to you. If you don't have an hour Seder, but you have a Seder, which could be as short as eight minutes a day, over time, it can change your life. It can change your life. It's very powerful. So, Rav Cohen, if you could define for us, and Koveya Itim Latara set times, because some of this sounds like Talmud Torah, which is the concept of learning all the time, and, and what does Koveya Itim Latara mean then? Koveya Itim Latara, we usually say set, you know, a set time. It, it also means concretize. To be Koveya means to set a time which is concrete, which I'm, Mr. Buddha says, others say, I'm not going to change. Okay, the rigidness is very important, but, you know, it doesn't go to the point of, of uh, you know, I don't want to say mysterious nefesh, but the rigidness is very important. And, uh, I'm, I, I, you know, you, you push my buttons over here for something which I'm very passionate about. I want to tell you what Kaveya means. Kaveya means that if you can't be at the table in shul for your chavrusa, you call on the phone. And all the time we have people learning on the phone, waiting for a plane in the airport, getting off a plane in the airport, in a hotel room. People call in constantly to their chavrusas because that's Kaveya to Kaveya means it's a set time. It's, it's, it's part of a program. I have a goal. I want to do it, yeah, and, and 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 this affords me the ability to be able to do it. Everybody has a phone, and everybody calls in, and all the time, and all of the this is, in the regular calls also. People can be in there to drill for a week, for whatever, wherever it may be, and they and they don't miss the seder. They're on the phone, and they learn for two and a half, three hours straight on the phone. The Yungalites and the Balabatim, for whatever their seder may be, an hour, a half hour, or even ten minutes. That's that's Kovei. That's that's Kovei. So, who, who who's obligated? Is this a chiyuv in the Shulchan Aruch to be Kovei in the Torah? Is it only sometimes retirees they'll they'll uh, be able to spend the time, but somebody is working an intense job, or is it only for the brilliant, or is it only for somebody who's made a lot of money and now he's his own employer and he's able to spend the time and make that commitment, or is this something that should be broadly applied and adhered to? The Rambam says in Ulchus Talmud Everybody's chayiv. Beinani, beinosher. Bein bori, bein bal yisurim. He's not say a chayla. A chayla is a person who never is sick and needs his, needs the rest to get back to himself. But bein uh, bein bori, bein bal yisurim. I feel who bali shu banim. Everybody's obligated for a Torah. It's make a difference who you are, what your financial strata is, what what your background has been. Everybody's obligated for a Torah. Okay, the question is how much time and when I can do it and my. And again, I have obligations to my wife and to my children. I have a ksuba. I have different things that I have to do. I have to make a parnasa. Good. We are all understood. But nobody's parted from Talmud Torah. A, a person is in the middle of Rahman saving somebody's life. So I say to he's part of Talmud Torah. Or I say with mitzvah, for certain mitzvahs, you're part of Talmud Torah. But on a regular basis, everybody's chai for the Torah. No exceptions. 
Women don't have that same obligation, but men have that obligation. So let me push on that point. How often each day, and and what would be a standard for somebody to adhere to? How much time a day? How many times a day and how much time a day? Is that a subjective standard? Is it an objective standard? What's, What's the requirement? That's a very hard question. It's a very hard question. The reason it's a hard question is because it, it really depends on, on, on many variables. But many variables. You can't tell somebody who's married, and Baruch Hashem has uh, nine children between the ages of uh, one and 17, that he's going to have as much time to learn as somebody who uh, either just got married and has one child, or somebody who's uh, uh, 55 years old and all the children out of the house. You know, a person has to know. But one thing I can tell you for sure, that a person has to train themselves so that when they get more time, they'll fill up the slot. But L'Chakil, a person has to know. As I said before, the person has a key of Aksuba, he has a key of Parnassah, he has a key to take care of his wife and to take care of his children. He may have a key to the community. All those things are very challenging and all need serious balance. But to say that someone's excused, there's no such thing. And some people never really had a background. And now we have a plethora of all types of forum and all types of shoes and all types of tapes and, and all, everything. You can get anything you want nowadays. And, and, and people should take advantage of it right. because really everybody's fine. Everybody's fine. Right. And it's, it's a daily obligation about Gisabo Yomon Belaylas. I mean, twice a day in the morning and the, the daytime and the nighttime as well. We know, we know that the Gisabo Yomon Belaylas means that a person could also be with Kriyashma Shachlis and Arvis. You know, it depends. It depends. Some people are morning people. Some people are evening people. Some people have to be home in the morning to help with carpool. Some people have to be home in the evening to help with homework. So, you know, I've told many people in Shul, if you can't learn at night, and you have to learn in the morning. You can't learn in the morning, and you have to learn at night. Or, or it might be that you have the ability to get away during the day. And as I said, we have a 12.30 mincha. Some people come to show the mincha, and they learn afterwards. But a person has never time to learn. You must have time to learn. Shabbos, Shabbos could be different. You can't keep the same schedule, obviously. You know, everybody has to work that out. But, you know, but but I, I can't, again, say, whether well, it should be an hour, should be two hours. It's hard. It's hard. That, that would depend again on all these other variables. But uh, uh, I, I don't want to say a minimum. I don't want to say a maximum. But uh, but people have to be very serious about this stuff. Right. And Mr. Burroughs said he uses the language kefi kolcho, which is uh, exactly what the Rav is saying. Based on your situation, based on your ability, it's a subjective standard, which indeed does change over time as well, depending on what the family needs are or the job needs. But uh, the key is to have it as a kvius, as as the Rav was saying. One hundred percent correct. I meant. I mentioned earlier we well, the newest program we started. We call it well, we call them a kailul. The newest kailul we have is a kailul for recent retirees. People are retiring now, 65, 70, healthy people, healthy people. We have 15 people who join this kailul. Some are in Florida, some are in North Dakota, and most of them are in Chicago. But you know, you can zoom in nowadays, and you know, you can have a, this year meets four days a week. You know, and 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 there's preparatory, act, you know, with, with Kavlusas, and we have the shiras given by the former shiva Skoki Shiva of Friedman. I mean, you, you really the sky's the limit. You, you know, you can be innovative, and you can you you can really do anything. And it's hard to say, um, you know, you know, it's hard to say that a person, uh, you know, can't learn. It's very hard to say all right. types of levels. Um, everybody can, do. and then. Sunday also was a challenge, you know, that people should use their Sunday mornings or maybe Sunday evenings, whatever. They should use that time correctly as well. I am not saying a person should be negligent. I'm stressing this again. Fear, obligation to his wife and children. That's extremely important. That's a chiv and Ebenezer. It's a chiv ksuba. It's a chiv, the children, the wife, etc. But I am saying that a person has a chiv to himself. Chiv to himself. As you right. said,
Is there something that you've seen has uh, been preferred for people to learn that keeps them coming over and over again? Meaning, is it Gemara? Is it uh, yeah, the, the Rav has a lot of people learning Chosh and Mishpat and, and uh, Halacha? Is there is there ain't, ain't Adam made That's the first thing. You got to learn what's Gishmak. It's Gishmak. It gives you a fire. It gives you a brand. It inspires you. You'll be able to learn more. But you got to learn what you like. What does that mean? It depends. It could be Chumash Rashi. It could be Daf Yaimi. It could be Daf Ashur. It, it could be, um, uh, you know, the uh, Halacha Yemis. It could be anything. It could be anything. You know, uh, it could be Mishnayis. A person has to learn what the what, uh, Mashalibah Just learn. Ju- no, but yeah, but just learn Mashalibah Chavetz. Don't just right, learn. Right. You know, learn, learn and get yourself on fire and steig. Beautiful. And steig. Somebody has a kvias and something comes up. What is a valid reason to miss the kvias and what's not a valid reason? Things that could be <laughs> from work, it could be demands from the family. Well, what would you say? Somebody comes and asks you, what's the standard? When can I miss and when can I not miss? Uh, what would the Rav say? Okay, everybody, everybody, you know that that's a very complicated question, but let's give an example, okay? If you learn every single night me from eight to nine and your daughter's getting married, you have to be at the chasa, right? I think everybody understands that, right? Your granddaughter's getting married. You got to be at the chasa. Okay, you know, if, if it's your great-nephew or your great-niece, you know, so what's the, what's the standard? You know, that people have to decide that. You know, there are a lot of, you know, these type of chiyuvim are non-ending. It's just non-ending. If your yeshiva is making a dinner and you learn that yeshiva and you are who you are because of that yeshiva, or all of your children went to that particular day school in town and there's a dinner, uh, that's a, that's a serious shaylah. Kars HaToyv is a very serious chiyuv. It's not a simple chiyuv. Not a simple chiyuv. It's a very serious chiyuv. So, so it's something good to, you know, everybody should have a, I don't want to plug this either because it's going to sound like I'm plugging, you know, uh, but everybody should everybody should really have a rove. And it's something that they have to ask. You know, when do you... Uh, you know, for what does a person stop learning? You know, it's a very important thing. Rachmanel son for Levayas, you know, you have to stop learning. You know, again, it depends on how close you were, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, all these things are very important. Very I, important. I, I would assume if you're going to miss, then uh, try to do it in advance, If you, especially if it's a, a Yomi requirements, and do, do the daf in advance. If you, you know, know, that could be. That could be. That could be. You know, again, I, I, I'm not... I, 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 I hesitate since I definitely don't see the audience in front of me to say to uh, to say um, I, I hesitate to say what they should do and what they shouldn't do. I hesitate to put pressure on people. I'm just not uh, I, I, I'm not too I'm not comfortable doing that. But uh, everybody has to know that life is serious. And the first question we're going to be asked upstairs is uh, you know Kavati uh, Lazera. That's the question, and we got to answer that question. It's an amazing thing. Kodesh Baruch Hu told us what the test is, and he gave us the answers to the question. Yeah. So, you know, uh, person has to know that Kabati is Mutaira, you know, or, or, you know right. or, where am I, what am I? If we, if we talk about the, the Kokolo members or, or a Rebbe who teaches, do they have an obligation? And let's assume they're getting paid. So you're getting paid to be in Kolo from 9 till 12 or something like that. A Rebbe is paid for teaching. Does that fulfill their obligation of Kovei Mutaira or do they have an additional obligation to uh, to be learning in addition to when their paid time is. No. When, when a person is being paid to learn Torah, a person is being paid as a Rebbe, and he's teaching Torah, that is considered learning Torah. There's no shadow about it. Okay, that could be even considered a higher mile. You know, the, you know Rav Shach gave Shir in front of it, and Rav Shach told people, he told one of my Chavayar once, I've been a pile. I'm a pile. I have a job. I have a job. Rav Yankov said the same thing when he came from Shiva Torah. He's a pile. He's a pile. 
you know, and because he's a poil, he said certain obligations he had as far as giving shear. You know, that, that, you know that's what it, I'm a rogue, I'm a poil. I don't, I don't own my show. I work for my show. So I have to, you know, I have to, you know, set my hours accordingly and my koichas accordingly. It was brought down to Shulchan Aruch. A person's a Rebbe. He can't stay out at night at a chasana, dancing till 2 o'clock in the morning. His daughter's chasana may be different. Otherwise, you can't do that because you're going to be exhausted the next day. Working at 80% instead of working at 100% is also not so partial. But that's, you know, that's a chesha mishpah shayla. The everyday shayla, if you want to know if a person's yetzalim atayra when he's, when he's a poil, the answer is yes. Okay, so as a Rav, how do you get people to learn daily and to continue coming day in, day out, week in, week, week out, month in, and year, and now you're on to decade in, decade out? How do you inspire them, motivate them to continue in their learning? It's a wonderful question. I would say two words, one word in English, one word in Hebrew. Lashon HaKadosh word is cheshik. Cheshik. Give a person a cheshik. In English, the word is love. There's nothing in the world Nothing in the world. I haven't said this in a long time. But maybe I'll end with this. It's very geschmack. They hit a shot at the buzzer and win a game. And everybody's cheering you on. It's gewaltig. Very geschmack to go water skiing. Very geschmack to go skiing. A lot of things in this world are very geschmack. And I've done many of those things. But there's nothing more geschmack understanding the Dvar Hashem. There's nothing more geschmack than learning. There's a certain sweetness to it that nothing in the world compares to it. I tell people all the time, I'm so lucky. I learned Torah. There's no better drug in the world. People try to make themselves happy. We we have the best ingredients. The person can, that's why, if you get connected and you fall in love and you get inspired and you have a cheshek, there's nothing more delicious in the whole world. Nothing. Nothing more delicious in the whole world. Nothing sweeter. Nothing more delectable. Nothing. Nothing. Amazing. I have Six what one last question of you, and maybe the same answer that you gave just now is: if you look at all the people who have been in the kollels and learning and coming early in the morning, and they're continuing to learn over the long term, is there some common character trait that they have or belief that continues, or, or uh, is there simply is it is the cheshek what what binds binds them together? Answering the question with the words you use, yes, they're all Jewish and they all believe in God, <laughs> and because of that, they know the one of the commandments. So I'm just. Now I'm answering the way you ask the question. And they know that one of the mitzvahs is Talmud Tariqinekin Kulam. And if they're lucky enough, if they're lucky enough, because it takes a certain amount of mazel to be able to feel this. If one is lucky enough, sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. Sky's the limit. I want to end by telling you, on the sixth akapa, on Simchus Torah, both at night and during the day, we have a, a very special akapa, and we 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 scream, Torah is the Iker. Torah is the Iker. That's the... Uh, that's what our show is about. And that's what that's what Kali show is about. That's what Yiddishkeit is about. And everybody can plug into that. Men, boys, and even women should know that that's also, you know, inspiring the husbands and their children is one aspect. But learning themselves is also something which is inspiring. Women also have to know Uchus Brachas and Uchus Shabbos and Uchus Beirer and Uchus Tarasa Mishpacha. They have to know these things. They know these things. I'm not saying, again, women have an obligation to take care of their kids and mother out. Like men have obligations to provide pranasa, but 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 the, the gishmak that, that that you can get from learning Torah, the uh, woman can get that gishmak. Very good, Rabbi Khan. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate the uh, experience, knowledge, and inspiration that you have brought us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Hatzlocha, Rabbi, and everybody in Kali Yisrael should be zeichah to uh, to taste the beauty, the sweetness, and the uh, and the simcha of learning Torah. Thank you so much, Yeshakayas. Also. 
Joining us now is Mark Salomon. Mark is the owner of A1 Appliance Repair in Farakaway. They fix all major appliances. And uh, Mark, actually, I hear the rumor. Somebody told me about you, Mark, that uh, you're very, very uh, strict about being called and the committed is really the word, very very committed to it. And and I enjoy speaking with people who get paid for the work that they do, because oftentimes they could feel that there's a conflict between if I dedicate an hour or two hours to learning, that's take away taking away from my parnasa because I'm not able to work at that time. So uh, that's why I reached out to you and asked you to join us on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, Mark, tell us about your day, and maybe it, it's the night job also, because a, a major appliances, when people lose their fridge, when they lose their fr- freezer, they're pretty desperate to get it fixed quickly. If they lose their washing machine and dryer, they're very desperate to get it fixed. So, talk to us about the schedule that you keep, and uh, then we'll take it and move it on to Kovei Itin Latara as well. Okay, so the general schedule is that, um, obviously, I go davening in the morning. And I come back and uh, I, I, I listen to my messages, any messages that came in overnight. And um, uh, I, I uh, either take on new appointments or reschedule, schedule, uh, create my schedule for the day. And uh, then I give out, right now my sons, I have two of my sons in my business. I give out calls to them as well. Um, they have a IT and then I generally go up to Yeshiva. And uh, I generally learn... Uh, usually anywhere from nine o'clock uh, in the morning till uh, approximately 12, 12, between 1230, depending on what time as my minfa is. And then I go to work usually at one o'clock. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, the nights uh, require me to be involved with, with somewhat uh, personal things in terms of personal matters and also my business. So it was a time when I, ha- I was learning at night also, not the kvias like it was in the morning, but whenever I can uh, get some extra time to learn in the evening, I do. Uh, again, again, depending on the uh, the availability of time and my other other requirements in terms of personal uh, personal family matters. That is an amazing schedule, Mark. Walk us back when you started. When you start, because things things change over time, and initially, especially when you're having kids, it's it's oftentimes more difficult to be <clears throat> a E team. So walk us through uh, how it started and how it changed over time. Okay, so I, I have to say I have to give uh, credit to my uh, my Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Che, and uh, the Shiva Bnei Torah in Farakway. I'm a rabbeim at the time. Uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't when I went into high school. Uh, I'm not going to mention the high schools that I went to, but I wasn't exactly uh, tremendously into learning. And when I left high school, I, I was really, uh, as they say, shown the light of what the whole beauty of Torah was, and it was it was a gradual process. And uh, I, I learned after high school, actually, for four years uh, before I got married. And uh, I really, that's where I really made my strides in learning. And at that time, it was not just uh, learning how to learn, but it was learning Hashkafa Torah as well. And I felt that gave me an insight uh, in terms of not only what I want to do with my life, but uh, what people were doing with their lives. And I, I didn't want uh, I didn't want what a lot of other people were were striving for in terms of financial goals. So I wanted to incorporate learning into my life, uh, even once I got married. And um, I actually looked for different different areas of Parnassah that I can do this. And uh, one after another, uh, that was striking out for one reason or another. I can go into the particulars, uh, different things, but it doesn't make a difference. It's, it's irrelevant. And then my my uh, father-in-law Oliver Shalom, he uh, he was in the appliance service business, and it looked like a, a business that I thought maybe I could uh, regulate the timing. So I my first my first uh, 
question to myself was, is this something I, that I can see I, that I will enjoy doing, that I can tolerate doing, that I can enjoy doing? So I went for him for a summer. This is before we got married, my wife and I. I went out for him for a summer, and I really liked it. And uh, we got married in September, and uh, I continued. Uh, actually, at that time, after I got married, I also uh, continued learning half a day. Uh, here, we're in Far Rockaway. He was in Fairland, New Jersey. And uh, at 1 o'clock, I would, continue, I would go out to New Jersey, spend the rest of the day, continue learning to him. And that Pesach, I opened up my business. So it's uh, it's you know it's it's been uh, wonderful. It's been wonderful, and uh, as you brought up, um, things have changed. Uh, not in terms of the technology, even though that's that's not irrelevant to our conversation. But what happened was is the community over here, not only in Far Rockaway, but Lawrence, uh, Cedar, Woodmere, now Woodmere, Inwood, North Woodmere, it grew tremendously. So unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess from depending on your perspective, there were times that I had to modify my schedule and and work more, which which was I was not happy with, but I felt like. I had to uh, maintain something, and I did see light at the end of the tunnel in terms of my children possibly coming to business, and that's exactly what happened. And there were years where I was not able to maintain that schedule exactly. Uh, and then now, my my uh, the past eight years, my children have been in the business, so I'm back to uh, learning half a day. Well, but even when you had to cut down, did you keep a learning schedule, or or were you yes. yeah, no. yeah, I was, but not the way I wanted to. And it was, you know, there was unfortunately a lot of uh, time and energy that I still had a place in the business because it was, it was a one-man show. And uh, there's a lot, you know, there's a, there's a lot has to be done in a business. And again, because the customer clientele grew, uh, I, I had to make certain sacrifices just to maintain the business. And it, with, with, with the... Yeah, uh, with the awareness that this was only going to be temporary, because again, I, I wanted to maintain it because I didn't want to possibly sacrifice uh, closing the business because it, I, I couldn't maintain it. So I had to, uh, unfortunately, I had to give up uh, time uh, on my learning just to, you know, to maintain it. So right now, why did you choose learning mornings as opposed to afternoons or nights? I think anyone who learned would be able to answer that question. Uh, <laughs> you have a much better head in the morning. I also think that, um, uh, and I think anyone else with learning would tell you, or anyone who also was eat them, it just sets the stage. I mean, you have you go into work uh, if you're learning in the morning, and you 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 have a just a wonderful wonderful experience, and uh, then you go to work. Just think, things just uh, roll off of you. They don't they don't affect you the same way. You don't deal with frustration the same way. It's just a different mindset. And you just come into work with it in a good mood and happy. And uh, look, there are times where there's a tough sugya. I'm not going to say not. And the times you're frustrated in learning also. But that frustration learning is not the same frustration you experience with people. Right. Mark, Mark let me read you a Mishnah Bura. Mishnah Bura is in Simon Kufnun Hey, Sif Katan Beis. And he talks about the, uh, the importance of learning early in the morning. He actually brings uh, two reasons for it. And the second one is as follows. Because also, if you would go to your business first, before going to learn, we are concerned you may get drawn into your work, and you may never get back to your previous. Does that speak yeah. to you? Yeah. I, I Well, look at it in a certain sense, yes, in a certain sense, no. Um, because once I decided when I was younger that I was going to stay in learning, I, I didn't have the same uh, draw to the workplace. Uh, actually, you know, my my uh, family, uh, my 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 father, Lashalom, and my two brothers uh, were in a family, very successful family business, and it was natural that they thought that I was going to go into the business as well. 
And when I underwent uh, this, this, this stage of my life, uh, yeah, early on, before I got married, those four years that I spoke to you about, it wasn't just in terms of uh, learning Torah, but uh, I shouldn't say it wasn't learning Torah, learn, to learn Torah, but it was learn not just in terms of Gemara or Halacha, it was Hashkafa as well. And uh, with Hashkafa, I really, uh, I, I really, to myself, uncovered certain, uh, in my mind, certain false attractions. So I, I never really had that strong desire to go into uh, into that field. Uh, you know, one story which uh, does come to mind uh, when I was when I was I felt uh, more anchored was um, I was once with uh, a, a brother-in-law of mine who was younger than me, and I was you know we were we were very close, and he was younger, and I you know I was trying to uh, to to show him derecha derecha We were once in the city. And um, uh, it was the Wall Street area, and it was around 4.30, 4.30, 5 o'clock, when everyone was getting out of work. And I said to him, um, I said to him, uh, look at the faces of these people. I said, do these people look like happy people? <laughs> everyone was coming out of work. And I said, it's a good Musrasco. I said, people come out of a shear, look at their face. And uh, yeah, I hope it had an impact on him. He, he actually is Kabeitim as well, and he's a very, very fine person. Um, but I'm just saying that there's, there, there, are, there are opportunities for us to see what uh, what really works and what really doesn't work. So, uh, yeah, going back to your original question, no, I didn't have that draw. Interesting, very interesting. Let me ask you: you're, you're taking a significant slab of your day and you are dedicating it to learning Torah. So, have you lost business clients as a result of that? Because you're only available starting at 1 p.m. People may be in a rush; they may think you're unavailable. And and as a secondary question to that, it kind of related. When you're learning, do you have your cell phone on you? Are you available if somebody has an emergency, or are you totally shut off from the business world that you live in? Okay, so regarding the first question, I would say I can't. I can't. Um, I, I can't remember anyone any situation that I've lost a client. Have I lost calls? Yes, I have lost calls. But I will tell you that related to that, the from community is wonderful. You don't know how many compliments I get that people uh, know that I'm learning and people, they'll still, more modern people, not necessarily yeshivish people, more modern people say, oh, you're still learning? People are mashavit. People are mashavit. So, no, I cannot say I've lost any clients. Have I lost calls? Yes. But I don't look at it as a call, as, a, as an opportunity to make an extra 50 or 100, 150, whatever it might be. You have to look at the whole overall situation. Overall situation, Baruch Hashem, making very nice parnasa. I always made a nice parnasa, and uh, I can't ask for anything more. Um, in terms of in terms of, uh, uh, of uh, being accessible, yes, I am accessible, but not from, from customers. It's for my sons who, if they they know that I'm learning also, and they uh, they they are very very sensitive in terms of not bothering me. However, if they get into a situation where they they have to call, they will call. And generally, by the way, that's only when I only will respond to them when I'm chavusa, when I'm by a shear, I will not respond to them. Uh huh. So that in that way, you're you're very much limiting your calls. But if something is absolutely an emergency, then you're accessible. Correct. Correct. Okay. I think that that's very wise and 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 reasonable and practical. I, I do know that um, there was uh, unfortunately it was Nifter um, from the COVID uh, crisis. There was a doctor, Doctor Shore. Uh, I don't know if you heard him. He was a wonderful big time of thought. I mean, just a wonderful human being. And uh, he was kaveitim, and he actually learned yeshiva Rockaway every morning. And I, I understand that uh, he did not bring his cell phone in with him. He's not. He was an optician, and uh, I'm envious of that. I, I think it's so. You know, I think it was it's a wonderful thing that he did. And in certain times, I go back and forth. But I, I just everyone has to make their own personal decision what works for them. 
Right, right. Now, tell me about other times. You said sometimes you're able to learn at night. How do you spend Sundays, legal holidays, or when you're going from customer to customer, do you pop in a shear or are you making calls to customers, updating them when you're going to be arriving at their places? So there also, I, when I was younger, I was able to listen to Shearum on an iPod, which I, I really loved doing. Um, as I got older, I saw that I was like missing streets and I, I thought it was not exactly too wise to do. Also in the area that I work, generally uh, between calls in terms of drive is uh, seven or eight minutes, but uh, at maximum, sometimes it's shorter than that, but it's not longer than 10 or 12 minutes. Um, but I felt like whatever I can do, I, I was able to do in terms of learning. There were times where I listened to an iPod, but again, as I got older, I saw that uh, this is not the safest thing to do. So pr pretty much I stopped doing it unless I have to wait for someone outside, and then I, I will bring a, uh, an iPod with me and listen to a sheer on it. Mm -hmm. And So uh, during your kvias, what do you learn? Is it a, Do you go into a shir? Are you learning with Bechavrusa? Are you part of any of the Yomi programs like Daf Yomi, Yish Mishnah Yomi, Halacha Yomi, or do you do your own thing? No, we, I go. To, I generally go to a shir. I have a Chavrusa. Uh, we have a Chavrusa, and usually we have shir at, at 11 o'clock, and we prepare beforehand. Um, I'm not part of any, uh, any of the Yomis. Uh, they generally don't work for me, but I, I, I'm very, very... Uh, careful to say that if it works for you, uh, uh, call a kavod, and a person should do it. I, I, I like Ian more. There have been times when I have, uh, have could be, you know, Bikiya um, Shiaram, uh, not Bikiya Shiaram, Bikiya Shiaram for myself, whether it be in Halasa, whether it be in Navi. I was uh, doing Navi for quite a while. Um, but uh, I'm not part of any Yomis because I, I like to go at my own pace, and I, for me, I, I, I like to understand and like to take time and when I come across an area that I like to think about, I like to take time, and I don't want to push myself to finish a certain by a certain spot. But again, that's what works for me. And uh, my son actually is doing Dafiomi. I'm very, very proud of him, and <laughs> a little emotional, but uh, it's uh, very, very proud of him. He's doing Dafiomi. So Dafiomi works for you. I think it's a wonderful institution. And so that that's one of the sons that are in the business with you. He actually is not in the business with me. He would be great in the business, but he's very, very happy at what he's doing, and I'm very proud of him. And uh, yeah, the the anchor is that you should be happy with what you're doing, and even like you know this 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 whole discussion about Kabeh Eitim, person, you know there, you know one of the things I said to you when you approached me was, I think there are people that are more qualified. There are people who Eitim in the morning and Kabeh Eitim at night, and again, there are also a little bit kind of them, uh, and uh, the whole the whole uh, the whole idea of Kabeh Eitim is beautiful, and I think for me it was natural, but. Um, my 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 motivation when you approached me said that I told you there are people I thought were more qualified than me. But if I figure I, I thought about it a little before I said yes, and I said, listen, if I can have an impact on someone's thinking uh, when they're making this decision in their life, whether it be before they get married or possibly changing uh, course during during their life, then call it a vote, you know. But uh, in terms of me being qualified uh, to be representative of this group, I think there are people who are who are. Much more qualified than I, but uh, yeah, I, I'll tell you what, what. What I was very inspired by is because I know when people have a broken appliance, it's it's could be. I'm not going to say life and death, but it is. It's close to that, um, depending on the appliance and the size of the family. I was uh, learning with my, my chavrusa recently, and he told me a story about his great grandfather who was in Atlanta, and at the time one of the few shomer shabbos, and he was a plumber, 
And somebody came and knocked on his door on Shabbos and said, I need you to fix something. And, and uh, the, the, the plumber said, I, I'll come after Shabbos. And the person pulled a gun on him. <laughs> pulled a gun on him. And he said, you're going to come right now. And my, my Chavruz's great-grandfather, he never worked on Shabbos, and he had no choices, pikuach nefesh. And as he was fixing what was necessary, he was crying. And to me, that was indicative of how urgent needs can be when it comes to a home. And we have somebody who's kovei eaten despite that, and does have desperate customers and says, you know, if there's an emergency, I'll be there. But otherwise, I'm going to have a clear head. I'm going to focus on my learning. And to me, that's a, it's a call of a homer to many others out there that don't have such a demanding job, um, that there's not really not people's, I'm not going to say their lives are dependent, but they're, they're certainly their their mental health is dependent on, on, these, on these appliances when you have large families, especially. And that's why I think it's, it's really uh, inspiring what you're doing. Well, I, I do think that, you know, you have to always take that into consideration. There, there, are, there are times, I remember uh, many, many years ago, uh, I was already dressed. It was an era of Pesach, actually. I was already dressed to go to shul, and someone called me at my home number. I happened to be a customer, but she had one refrigerator, and Baruch Hashem wasn't Chal Shabbos, it wasn't Chal Yontif, but I went over and I was able to fix it. I mean, you have to have sensitivity for people's situations. But people in Meshuggah, you know, like I, I, there's a political way to handle them, but uh, you have to distinguish between what's a real a real emergency situation, and then you do have to extend yourself. And I, I, I try to help everyone I can, uh, even in off hours, and uh, even possibly, you know, in a situation like that. And I, it stood in my mind because I felt very, very good to be able to help her, and, and I, I was able to get her refrigerator going, and she had, uh, you know, she was good for Yantiv. Right. That That is a tremendous chesed, a tremendous chesed. So let, let me ask. In closing, Mark, what, what advice do you have to those who are trying to stick with a kfiyas? And, 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 and maybe part of that is how do you stay motivated? Because it's been decades, literally decades that you've been kovayiting the Torah. So, so what, what keeps you motivated and what would you tell everyone else in order to enable them to stay motivated in their learning? So it's interesting. This is one of the questions you gave to me beforehand. And I thought about it. And to me, I said, it's posh. I, I think the first the letter Aleph in, in this in this question is person should have an experience where they learn to enjoy learning. If a person does not enjoy learning and a person uh, doesn't see the chachm in learning, then, you know, you could push yourself and it might even work. You know, you might do it because uh, because you realize this is what you're supposed to be doing. But uh, look, the allures of, of society and the allures of money and the allures of fame and everything that goes along with Pernasa, if a person is able to, uh, to uh, go down that road, is strong. And you have to have a very strong opposition. And to me, there's no uh, there's no stronger opposition than, than, than the MS. So if a person sees, if a person sees the uh, the uh, the of learning, and he sees the, the beauty of learning, and he sees what, what this is and what we're here for, and he sees uh, he sees that the whole experience, how, the impact that it has on him, and the Amitas Torah, that's the greatest uh, thing uh, that I could tell people is if a person has that situation, wonderful. If a person does not have the situation, it's there. They should switch rabbeim, or they should switch kabbuses. Uh, they should they should create an environment for themselves where they're naturally drawn to Torah. If they're naturally drawn to Torah. The other things pale by comparison of what our pursuit should be. And I think that's a simple answer to that question. Very good, Mark. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Keep up the learning. I am so impressed and inspired. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Hatzlacha to you and anyone who's listening to this. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.
Joining us now is Rabbi Ilan Halberstadt. Rabbi Halberstadt is the, so the Rav of Machsiki Adah Synagogue in London. He's a Musmach of Rav Moshe Halberstadt of the Eid Haredius. He was a Talmud of Rav Moshe Shapiro for almost 20 years, but most relevant for us today, Rabbi Halberstadt has a Kolo Boker, not only a Kolo Boker, also one in the evening as well, and he has been doing that for approximately 13 years after returning from Eretz Yisrael to London, and uh, we are here to... He, hear all about the kolal and any advice that Rabbi Halberstadt has for anyone out there trying to be kovei itim Torah. Rabbi Halberstadt, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It has to be here. So, Rabbi Halberstadt, first to set the table, if you could give us a quick overview of the history of your kolal, including who comes, what do you learn, and then we'll talk about how do you get them there. Yeah, so, funny enough, a guy came over to me originally, and he said to me, you know, I've got an idea for getting guys to learn. And he said to me, you've got to go for the hero approach. I said, what do you mean? What's the hero approach? He said, yeah, you've got to, you've got to tell guys they've got to get out early morning. So by the time they've learned the full chakras, they've gone to chakras, they come out of the chakras, they feel like a hero. They've come out, they're like, they're, they've, they've already like achieved this amazing thing that they've, they've learned such an early hour in the morning when nobody else is up. And I thought, you know, crazy, and I'm not, I'm not a morning guy, but okay, let's go for it. And I knew it was going to be Matsliach, because on the very first day, I spoke to lots of guys, we got them coming, and I poshed, overslept, and missed the whole first day. It was almost the most embarrassing thing, and I knew this has got to be it. Yetzirah is, is pushing me away, this has got to be something that's going to be Matsliach. Rabbi Alberstadt, let me get this straight. You, as the Rav, missed the first morning because you overslept. That's right. That's right. So it was most great because everyone was like, um, you know, like, what happened? I could not believe it. I was so embarrassed. But it firstly made everyone feel comfortable. And I know the ATR doesn't want me to do this. So it must be something much straight out from Bob Hashem. Since then, I, uh, I've had a pretty good track record. And Bob Hashem says the cradle boy here as well. Wow, that's quite a start. So, so talk to us. How many people learn there? What do you learn? And uh, how do you get people to come? So we have about 25 plus uh, guys. We have all ages. Taylor is not limited to any particular age. Baruch Hashem, the great thing about the Chabora, we have guys who are, you know, student age, uh, 20, 21. We've got 65, 17 as well. It's a beautiful thing to see. Um, we, we learn Gemara. We focus on learning the Gemara specifically with a uh, structured method of doing Chazorah. And what that means is we go over every Gemara. I give the Shia first, and there's two reasons for that. Number one, it gets people there on time. And the Ikka with us is that I give the Shia in order for them to then go ahead and learn themselves and to be kinder to acquire the material. So I give the Shia for like 20, 25 minutes, and afterwards they all learn Bechabrusa, or guys learn with me afterwards a second, a third, and a fourth time that we go over it during that time. And what that does is amazing. Number one is it gives the guys the ability for themselves to actually acquire. Because the main thing in what really is that sloth of the Chabura is that the people in the Chabura are learning. They're active. They're involved. It's not just a shear where they're sitting back. Because if you're sitting back, you're asleep, you're not involved. Gemara requires you to be involved. So the shear there breaks you in, gives you everything, but then you've got to go and be kinder it. And we go over that material another three times. By the end of that day, by the hour, we've seen it four times. 
And that's an amazing thing. So we so, don't have a specific amount that we do. We don't, it's not a daf yirimi or an omad yirimi. It's very, we, we move at a pace, but it's very much based according to the, the people that are there. In other words, if it's a harder sugya, it'll be a little bit slower. It's got to be for the people. So it's for the people. And therefore, the fact that we're not married to a pace actually has been a tremendous source of atzlocha for it. So that I can see where the guys are up to. And sometimes in the middle of the shit, I can see faces. They're like, you know, well, this is, this is hard. So, okay, right. We're going to stop it. And you're going to hazard over, etc. So, so I guess what gets people coming back and back is that they feel they're accomplishing something because they're kone. They're saying it four times, they're doing Chazara, they feel like they're really accomplishing things. On the flip side, people, I assume, have dropped out over time, and we want to learn from those who did not continue. For what are the standard reasons, and, and, and maybe reasons is not the right word, maybe it's excuses, maybe you can tell us, excuses or reasons, what is it? for they're not continuing to come? Okay, that's a good question. Let me give you three points here. In We'll go in order here. The first reason is that it's hard to get up in the morning. That's hard. It genuinely is hard, you know? There's no denying that. So that is a valid reason. Sometimes people just, just cannot do it after a while. But that's not the primary reason. The next reason, which is a little bit more difficult to overcome, is very often guys have families their wife needs them, you know, to, to be at home, to help out. Um, and that's really understandable. There's a lot of families that have stress and the kids getting off to, getting the kids off to school in the morning. And it really requires a mysterious nefesh, um, a real sacrifice and dedication from, from the wife and from people outside of the Chabura that can help. I'm going to tell you an amazing story. This is not even about uh, a wife of the Chabura, but my, I'll tell you a story about what happened with me and how I was able to continue the Chabura. I had a time where my wife um, was pregnant and suffered tremendously in pregnancy, and it was impossible for her to get out of bed. So I didn't know what to do. So I started giving the Chabura for one or two days from my, from my house, and they came around. And the guys came around from, to my house and my neighbor, um, they saw what was going on and they said like, you know, what's happening. And they found out that my wife was just out of action. And there was a woman, her name, I'll tell her name, her name was Hannah Rosenberg. She's no longer alive, uh, but she's a Talakis, as you'll hear from the story. She saw what was happening and she said, you know, no, no, it's not good that the Chabura is in your house. Uh, your wife's out of action. What time is your Chabura? I said, it's like very early. It's 6, 6 a.m. She said, don't worry about it. Um, we gave her the key. I went out for Kabura around about 6. I slipped out, whatever, before I had to get there for 6. I slipped out. She used to come every morning. My wife was on action. She would take care of the kids. She would take care of giving them breakfast, getting them dressed. And by the time I came back from after shore, they were just ready to just drive to, to school. That's all I needed to do. It was unbelievable in the serious nefesh. And this is for the sake of Torah. What this woman did, and I'm going to tell you, the most amazing thing about the story is she did this not for one week, not for two weeks, for three months straight. That is what she did every morning. She had the key. She let herself in. She got the kids ready. And this is the most amazing thing. She unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. At the Shiva, I told them the story. The husband did ha had no idea of this story. He never knew about it. He said, I thought she just goes for walks in the morning in the park or something. He had no idea. I was shocked that he didn't know. A woman who could do such an act of tzidkus every morning, not even tell her own husband, and it was something outstanding. So, you know, Masuas Nefesh, 
from people that are able to support Torah, and I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about here, support, and it's difficult for wives, you know, they've got to manage the family with their, their husband, but you know what, the the scar that they're going to get for what they invest in the family and the Torah of the family changes the whole family and is something which is incredible. So really, we, we rely a lot on on that support. That is the second reason why often people, they fall out because they just, it's too, the family situation is too stressed. But the primary reason really is if they're not actually enjoying their learning, then it becomes more difficult to get up in the morning. Meaning, it's, you've got to get into it. You've got to, Torah is there. You can't just sit back and relax. We That's the whole idea of the Chabura, that we want people to be involved. They're going to be toying it. They've got to work at it. And, and they get it. And when they get it, they're thriving. They're, they're on cloud nine. And then they, they, they get out of bed. When it's not so easy or because it's a more difficult signal or they've missed a couple of days, then the Yajara makes it more difficult. But if you see success, success brings success. And that's really the key of, of staying in the Chabara is you see, when you see other people also learning and they, they're getting into it, that's how to keep in there, to just get into the learning and realize that that's what's going to keep you afloat. Right, that was an amazing story about that lady. That's that's absolutely amazing. So three points, what you're saying, people who drop out, number one, it's hard to get up in the morning. Number two, wives do need help, and that is a real need. And number three, if they're not enjoying the learning. To get to that first point, here oftentimes, I'm not a morning person. And, and, and Rabbi Albert said, based on the story you told about yourself, apparently you were not a morning person. Has that changed? Has it gotten easier as you've gotten up day in, day out over the past umpteen years? Or is, are you still not a morning person? It's changed a little bit, but I'm still not a morning person. <laughs> Meaning you get up because you get up. You know, I always say to the guys in Mechabura, you guys are amazing. I have to give the share. So I, I, I've got, I got to be there. You know, like if I'm not there, it's like it's finished. But you guys get up every morning. It's incredible. No, it's true. For some people, it's much harder to get up. But you know what? You change your lifestyle. You try to go to bed earlier. You know, I, I take a little nap in the day. I have a little, put my head down, whatever. Um, you, you know, this is the time. You have to change or adapt yourself to the new situation. You were in yeshiva beforehand. Now you're at work. You just cannot learn the same at the end of the day. So you make things happen and, and it works. Right. Now, for those who don't join at all, we talked about those who drop out. Those who don't join at all, is it the same three reasons? They say, I'm not a morning person. My wife needs help. I'm not enjoying. Well, you haven't tried the learning. I don't enjoy learning in general. Or are there other reasons that people may not join on a, on a lechat chila basis? Yeah, that, it's, you know, Yetzirah has got a whole, you know, array array of tricks that it'll, he can come up with anything. You know, I always say to people that whenever a guy says, I, I haven't got the head to learn, and as soon as we, you ask anybody, he'll give you 20 reasons as to why he cannot. That's where we see a person's, you know, he's got, he's got everyone got the capability of learning. I get to proves us right when he, when he comes up with excuses. Yeah. There's no shortage of excuses. Rabbi, Rabbi Halberstadt, if you can look at the people, think about the people that come who have been coming on, on a long-term basis. So they've stuck with it. They enjoy the learning. If, if somebody doesn't enjoy the learning, you're right. There's no way they're coming. Is there a common characteristic, a belief, something in common that you see amongst those that have continued learning day in, day out that we can try to learn from? What's that commonality? Because they have different ages and different backgrounds and everything different. Is there something that binds them that is the reason that they continue to be motivated in their learning? Yeah, this is a very important point what you're making now, that the Chazal tell us, and learning on your own, even with a Havrusa, 
does not have the same impact as learning with a group of people. You know, we have different ages and stages, but everybody feels connected because there's a Chabura feeling, there's a Chabura atmosphere. And, you know, you see the guy next to you who's steiging away, he's learning so well. And you think to yourself, well, if he can do it, so can I. And everybody is mechazik each other in that way. And that's why learning by Chabura, you know, for me, it's phenomenal because these guys ask amazing questions and there's back and forth and there's involvement together. You feel alive when there's a base of Edrish atmosphere, which is the back and forth, which is what Torah is. It's got to be the Chabura. And that connection with others is really something very powerful, very special and definitely helps each other stay the course. Another point, you know, people have, the people that have stayed it, for, for many years, they just have this amazing attitude of it's just fixed. It's not negotiable. You know, forget it. When the alarm clock goes off in the morning, you don't start reasoning with your pillow. Like, forget it. It's, it's not shy. If you're gonna, you're not gonna be able to overcome any argument. Just get out of bed. And guys, they got a customers that are late. They've been at a wedding. They only get back late at night. They're there in Kabul the next day. They know this is part of their life. They gotta make it fixed. They don't, they don't miss. Um, you know, of course people miss when they're unwell, whatever it might be, but, and, and they're sick, but, but this is, they, they, they've got it in their head. This is it. We're, we're going. Um, and the, the main thing here is also the, the method of Kenyan that, you know, that we go over it and we go over it again. Um, and we want to be kind of the material. And I had guys that, that can repeat back to you, you know, Gomorrah's verbatim. They'll tell you the Gomorrah, like the Shaka Vatara of the Gomorrah. There's no, they're not because they're, they're brilliant minds. It's because they're, they're good guys who have applied themselves. And you know, when you get a ballot boss, get up and they can, they can rattle off Dapim in the Shaka Vitaris. Oh, I remember that tomorrow from here, there and everywhere. Um, and we have Simonim of previous Dapim as well. It's very empowering for Balabatim specifically. Who people perhaps write off and say, oh, well, they've left Yeshiva now. You know, it's now just sort of bundling along and hoping to maybe open a safe for now and again. No, you've got to be someone who's driven. And when you're with like-minded people and you see they're successful, you can do it as well. So this being together with Chabura and having that focus that we can really grow. And there is a tremendous, um, tremendous aspect of not necessarily um, having to do a certain pace. Like uh, we, we move at a place, we do usually around a daf for a daf and a half a week, but it depends. Um, if it's a harder segue, we'll slow down. It's got to be for the people. It's going to suit them and, and fit them. And Torah is, is kind of going to be dark, as we, as we know. So what you're saying is three points. The longevity of people to keep them coming. Number one is the power of the Chabura. Number two is attitude. It has to be a Yereg Valyavor. I'm going no matter what. And you've gotten over your Yetzirah. You're not going to be negotiating with your alarm clock and waking up. And number three, Kenyan Yatorah, you really feel that you're accomplishing something. Now, you mentioned when talking about the Kenyan Torah, that you don't have to be brilliant to do this. And oftentimes we hear Bala, a Balabais who is uh, very successful in learning, and we look at the guy in Shul who's giving the Dafa Yomi two times a day, and he's giving Shiurim, and he spends half of his day learning, and he happens to be a brilliant individual. And that's something that is very difficult to relate to. So I, I guess I have two questions. Number one is... Yeah, is it is if you look at the people learning by you, are they brilliant? Are they not brilliant? Can anyone accomplish something in learning? 
And number two is oftentimes we look at the, the person who has made a lot of money and now he's starting to learn because he's his own boss and he's been successful already. And uh, there's a concept of uh, also that's not obtainable to the vast majority of people. So if you look at the Chaburu, would you say there's a very high uh, intelligence rate there? Is there very high success um, in business or is this really something that's achievable to the Hamonam? Okay, this is a great, great point that you're making. The first thing I just want to mention uh, with regards to to money is that, you know, people in business nowadays, um, I don't know how it is in America, but I can see it's the same. You know, in London, it, it's a very, it's it's very intense. If you're starting up young, you, you've got to put in a lot of hours. And that's why learning before they go out to work is something very, very special. And the fact is, it's the most important message that we can give out there is that real satisfaction doesn't come from money. Real satisfaction comes from feeding in the shana. That really is the ultimate answer. We know that's the MS. It's just sometimes harder to live by, but that's for sure what we have to have. And therefore, putting this in our brain, our mind, it doesn't matter what happens in business. You need to be matzliach in learning. We, we nowadays, we say, oh, he's, he's a matzliach, right? He's successful. That always means money, but actually successful means He's doing well in his learning. And I'm not talking about the hours he's putting in. I'm talking about the fact that he's really growing, achieving, putting in effort. Now, with regards to being a great mind, no, we've got regular people. And I have seen so many guys. It is nothing to do with the guy's intelligence. Yeah, you're going to have a little bit of a mind. Okay. But it's all about your application. What we would call the, the fact that you put in an effort. You know, we had a guy, i got to tell you this, this is fantastic. We were learning, we did all the short masechters. We did, like, a, we did, you know, Hagiga and um, Megillah and, and the, the short ones that, you know, are fun, as it were. And then we, we decided we're going to do Avodah Zara. Now, in the middle of Avodah Zara, there's what we would call... That, that you were going to you were gonna learn Masechus Avodah Zara, not, not do Avodah Zara. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. We decided to do Masechus Avodah Zara. Yeah. And in the middle of Masechus Avodah Zara, there's, like, a large amount of Dapim which deals with what's called Bittel Avodah which is all about nullifying Avodah Now, we had a guy who was a beginner. You know, he was not very experienced in learning. He was a beginner. Now, normally, you know, you have like a, a, a beginner to, to Torah mitzvahs, like you, yeah. you teach them about something that they're kind of used to, a little Shabbos, Kashras, Brochus. Anyway, this guy gets thrown in the deep end. He comes in, he says, I want to join the Chabura. I'm like, you know, we're up to this sort of interesting series. We're learning about nullifying Avodah you know, like, and this guy was unbelievable. You should have seen his Gemara. His Gemara was absolutely plastered. He had notes on every side, every empty space. He had notes on translation and explanation. He went over it and over and over it. And he blew everyone away because like five daft into it, he was asking like phenomenal questions. But why would it doesn't this contradict the other, you know, thing that we said five daft ago? This was a guy, like, we saw, what's he doing joining for Little Operator Zara? Like, the last thing you wanted the guy to join, he was amazing, and he was flying high from the Chabura. Because Torah has that ability. It's not necessarily what you're learning. It's that you're involved, you're engaged. And he applied himself. He worked really hard. His Gemara was a Kiddush Hashem. He showed everybody, look at this, like, mom, there was no space on the page from so many notes. He applied himself. He hazard. He came to, he, he did the Chazar all the time, and he knew the Gemara called. That's one guy. I have another guy who for years, he used to walk around. We've done many Masechtas over the years. A lot of them are short Masechtas. 
and he used to walk around with five Gemaras every day. He used to walk around with five Gemaras wherever he went. Every day, he did five da, one from each of those Masechtas, right? And he used to do that every day for years and years. His Gemara was totally worn out, and he knew these Gemaras cold, right? He was not, you know, the, the guy that you would say, the Spitz guy. He was a guy that applied himself, and he was fantastic. And it's these people that show the way that it's nothing to do with, you know, brilliance of mind or experience in Gemara. Again, they're people that have intelligence, but it's the application and making and working hard. That is what is going to ultimately, you know, a person's going to be trying to tell you from that. And that's, that's the success of any Balabos. Those are very inspiring stories. Yeah, those are very inspiring stories. Now, based on what you're saying, would you advise that Gemara is the key thing to, to learn? Or how about Halakha, Hashkafa, Chumash? I know it's the most exciting, maybe, Gemara, but have you seen people be successful in other areas as well? Or would you say the main focus is going to be Gemara? A person always has to learn Masha Libre Chafet. That means the person has to learn what he wants to learn. And that is always very important. However, every other learning doesn't do the same thing that learning a Gemara does. It's a spiritual workout. You get involved, you're engaged. A person also realizes that that's kind of like where it's at. You know, like if you want to be a learner, you, you're in the Gemara. Um, and there's a reason for that. Then the Gemara is that which brings, it brings out a person's totus, your strengths. It's not so easy. Yeah, it's true. And um, sometimes it can be quite, you know, difficult. You have to work hard, but it's something that gives the most satisfaction. So I found over the years, of course, we learn everything. Everything has to be learned. Of course, Halakha and Ashkotha and Chumash, everything's key. And you make time for that. But these Chaburas where you're going to grow your spiritual workout always works best when with Gemara. Gemara. Now, what, one last question for you. I know we talked about learning early and the challenges, but when do you think the ideal time is to learn? Have you seen somebody others be successful learning in the evening as opposed to the mo to the morning? Or do you have stories of people learning on the lunch break or something like that? So if somebody comes to you for an Eitzah, Rabbi, when should I be learning? What would be your default or your ideal time to advise them to learn? Okay, that's a good question. There is a beautiful advantage of the morning because you have that certain... Yeah, it's hard to get out of bed, but once you're out of bed, there is that freshness and you haven't got the distractions. You know, it's unlikely you're going to be invited to a shower process at 6.30 a.m. As of yet, we've never had that. But in the evening, there's so many distractions. You know, there's school meetings and, and guys were involved in the Kihila. So there's stuff that they're involved with. And one guy's on in a Hatzola meeting. I don't know, a thousand different things that call you in the evening. And there's family commitments. And it's very hard to carve out the time. You can. I bought for Shem. We have a Chabar in the evening interesting that the eating doesn't have as many people as it does in the morning but it's it's a also a tremendous Chabura. the guys are fantastic and they also make sure that this time is just uh um so you know it doesn't really matter as long as you make a time where you and are not going to move on that time and i'm going to tell you a, uh, an idea i heard from later of rabbi of moshe shapiro he said something very beautiful and very important and he actually said this i heard this from him on a trip we went uh, with balabatim to Prague, and he said this, and it's a beautiful idea, and it's about this idea of kavias itim and making sure that your time is just going to be sacrosanct, it's going to be kredesh kedoshim. So he said like this, there's a famous Maharal, and the Maharal says, 
that why was it after the Jewish people clearly saw said Nasr and Ishmael, we agreed. Why did Hashem force us to accept the Torah? We agreed. It's a famous question. Tosus deals with it. And the Maral gives an answer. He says, because if you would have thought that, you know, Baruch Hashem, we said yes to Hashem and we accepted the Torah. There could have been a world without the Torah, but we said yes. So there's a world with the Torah. That's incorrect. Hashem gave you that option. You opted in. It's good that you said yes. But now Hashem forced us to show us, in his language, he says, it's mukrah hamatzius. It's something which is absolute. There could not be a world without Torah. Well done for saying yes, but now I'm going to force you to show you that it's absolute reality and there cannot be a world without Torah. Ad Khan, that's the Maharal, said of Moshe so beautifully. He said, you should know, where does this idea of kvias itim la Torah come from? Not just learning. It never says learn. There's got to be kvias itim. You've got to have a time which is kavua, which is fixed, which you cannot move and will not move. He said, it's to demonstrate this maharal. Meaning, if you only learn when it suits you, so Torah is fitting into your lifestyle. If you say, no, I have a time in the day that come what may, that is my time. I don't, it's not that the Torah needs to bend to me. I'm going to bend to the Torah. The Torah is mukha kamatziyas. The Torah is absolute reality. By having the kavirs itim for Torah, that demonstrates that the Torah is absolute reality, and I accept that by doing that. And in fact, I remember the, the Balabat at the time said, so what does that mean? You're like, how long? Like, it was very funny. He like, just kind of like pushed it on me. Like, what, how long do you have to be driven? Like, uh, you know, they kept pushing on me, and he said like, I don't know, like 20 minutes? Like, what? It wasn't the time he was saying. He's saying there's got to be a time in the day where the Torah is the Ica, and everything else is out the window. Nothing's going to disturb me. This is my curious itim. And by doing that, your Makabal Torah, like the Maharal expressed, as Mukhul Kamatsiyah's absolute reality. As, as very beautiful. The, the concept then is if you're learning an hour, make sure that at that hour has 60 minutes in it. So, so, so what would be your aid? So then there are interruptions nowadays. Uh, as of, uh, I don't know how many years ago, 20 years ago, we didn't have cell phones. What, 20, 25 years ago, now we have cell phones and not only people have messages and texts and WhatsApps and this and that. What's your Aitsa to avoid all of those interruptions during the designated time for learning? Yeah, so you've got to have that attitude, which is, it's just going to be Kredish Kedoshim. You've got to say, turn off your phone, you know, because even if it's it, it, like it's on, you can't help but look at it. And, you know, you've got to just be able to say, no, this is my time. And you'll see it's categorically different when people are learning without the phone than having it next to them. Even if it's next to them, it's next to them, you just can't help it. You know, we, we have this reflex reaction that we just, the phone buzz, you know, you can't help but check it. You've got to check it. You've got to just put that aside and put yourself into the learning. The more you get into it, the irony is people think, you know, you know, I, I don't want it to be too pressurized for me. It's not pressurizing. Just the more you get into it, the more you'll see it'll feed you. So it's for everybody's best interest. You know, it'll feed you. You know, I just want to say one last thing, you know, that I, I get such a pleasure when I get phone calls in the day, like, and I know which people it is, uh, and I always take the call because the guy calls me, he asks me questions in Gemara. Balabas, he's in the middle of his day, and he's like, I just want to ask you this question. I love it. I love it. It's so beautiful. It's amazing that you get people that they're, they're into it. Yeah, we have ups and downs. That's so normal. You know, we're in the middle of the winter. That's normal. It's normal, normal. Not every day are you going to be bouncing. Absolutely, we know that. But if you get into Torah, Torah is the best shidduch for the Yiddish and the Shama. Very beautiful. Rabbi Halberstadt, I want to thank you so much for joining us and shedding uh, 
so much light on this challenging parsha that everyone working has, uh, being called the Eitim Latar, and the experiences that you have really shine through, and uh, the messages are, are very powerful. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Joining us now is Ira Lipsius. Mr. Lipsius has specialized exclusively as an attorney in the insurance coverage and insurance regulatory areas for over 40 years. Mr. Lipsius, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Now, I, I'm especially interested in speaking with people about Kovei the Torah who, who work and have demanding jobs and clients that are demanding, and especially those that could have the view that because they bill per hour, they are losing out by every hour that they have, every Seder that they, they are uh, investing and learning, they could view it as, I'm learning, losing out financially. So that's why I think it's especially interesting and important to speak with somebody like you. So if you could walk us through your experiences with Kovei team, starting way back, we said that you've been working uh, over 40 years as an attorney. When you started, were you able to learn? Because those are probably more demanding years. And how did it change over time? I know you have a number of kids. So uh, that complicates our Siddharim as well. Okay, well, let me start off with that. I would have to say that I have uh, both Hashem, like good Rebbeim in high school. From the time I was in high school, I was told what it meant to be Kobei to return. I went to MTA, YU's high school, University's high school, and, and uh, I was in the dorm at the time. And beginning in ninth grade, I was in the base medrash every night where there was no required base medrash. So I had Rebbeim in YU and MTA who taught me what it, that the importance of Kobei to return. And therefore, it was a given. When I was in law school, I had a two-hour chavrus in the middle of the day between classes. So it was always something that I knew I was going to do. And when I started working as well, uh, I knew there was going to have to be a time for me to learn. And that's why I married someone who so appreciated that, that learning. And not just appreciated it, but encouraged it and never pushed me. She never said, go learn. I never, I don't think, and, uh, uh, and uh, our oldest daughter is, what, 38 years old, uh, I don't think she ever said, why aren't you going to the base badgerish? Why don't you learn more? Why don't you do something like that? So a supportive wife is probably one of the most important things for me in knowing that she supported me, but I never felt she was wanted me to do it, but I always knew she was very proud. Very nice. How did it change over time? Yeah, how, how much two hours initially in law school and then when you started working and, and, and when during the day were you learning as well? That's very important. Was it before davening early at four in the morning or was it at 10 at night? How did that change? So generally, I, I think it's very, uh, my wife likes the, and I forgot about it when I talked with my wife about doing this today with you. She said, she reminded me of something. I used to take the Long Island Railroad home to my home in Kew Gardens. And I used to take the 613 train. We always talked about the Mitzvah train. It was a 613 out of Penn Station regularly. And my kids would meet me at the train station at 630. I would be there with them from 630 to 5 to 8. We ate dinner. I did the homework. And every night at 8 o'clock, I would leave for the base medrash and I would be there till 1030. And that was something that happened before we were married. That was my Zman Kabua. And I knew unless there was an emergency or something else, I would be there. And my kids knew that. And you would think that kids wouldn't like it. My kids liked it and were proud of it because they knew the Hashivas of Torah. Taking it one step further, that's the reason that 
many of my kids, uh, and I'm proud of every one of them, but many of my kids have married guys who are sitting in look. My oldest daughter, uh, her husband, is still sitting in Kylo. You know, and he's over 40 years old. So, so we're and we're very proud of it because they saw from their mother, not from their father, they saw from their mother that encouragement that made them be mothers and wives that encouraged that leave with her. So, as I said, from the time I was in, from the time I started working, I was in the base magistrate every night. And eventually, I moved that over from night center, but that's much later in life when my kids were out of the house and they were grown, and I turned it into second center. Second center, in the middle of the workday. In the middle of the workday. I used to get into the office before 7.30. I'd go to very early minion, get into the office before 7.30, and I would work till 3.25. And all of my clients knew that at 3.30, I was no longer available. And these are not Hamish people. These are not from people. The Goyim Center knew that. And then at 3.30, I would pick up 3.25, pick up, grab a cab from my office to Yeshiva, which was five minutes away by cab. And I'd be there from 3.30 until the end of second Seder, which was 6.45. And eventually, I turned that into first Seder, which is what I do today. I am actually now, I'm sitting in Yerushalayim, Merakadosh. And I sit and learn in the mirror every morning from nine o'clock till a little after one Israel time. At one thirty, one forty-five, I come home, which is which is six thirty, six forty-five New York time. And I work here until approximately Israel time, till around nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, a full work day. But I know my day starts off for the learning. Now, Israel is moving to Israel is a recent thing, or is is that been for a while? Now that is very re- recent. Uh, I did it. This is the first, hopefully, it's Hashem. I will do it the full winter's month this year. Last year, I did it for half of winter's month. Winter's month, for those of, for, out there who don't know, winter's month begins with which is the, a week after the end of Sukkot and goes till two weeks before Pesach, Passover. So, my, uh, so we landed in Israel on the, on the day before Rosh Chodesh, the day before this month started. The next day, I was in the yeshiva, and I've been there in the, in the Mir Yeshiva in Achabura, and I will continue, hopefully, until Rosh Kodesh Nisav, two weeks before Pesach, two weeks after Purim, and then I hope to go back to the United States, and I'm going to learn my old schedule, which means I'm going to, I get into the office at 7.30 till 9.15 in the morning, and at 9.30, I go to yeshiva till till 1, 1.15. And then at one fifteen, I come back and stay as late as I have to seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Unbelievable! So it went from third seder to second seder to the first seder. Talk to us about when it was at third seder, which was most of the time. For many of the years, it was at third seder. So you work a grueling, long, intense day, and then you come home for a bit, be with the kids, and you're probably exhausted. So how does that work out? That you gotta schlep yourself out to the base medrash and focus for two and a half. Hours were there times that you just wanted to say I'm davening Marav and going to bed, or were you fairly consistent? And how do you do motivate yourself? Despite I, I'm assuming you were pretty tired after working a day like that. So how did that go? So when we were discussing, and my wife and I were discussing this for this interview that this evening, uh, when we were discussing it, it was very interesting because my wife said I would leave the house five after five to eight, right before eight, I'd work a full day. I looked exhausted. I, I go to a 6.15 minute in the morning. I've been working up, up in Shul, in Shul 6.15, get into the office at 7.30, work the whole day. And she said, I'd walk out of it looking tired, and I'd come back pumped and energized. After learning. 
have to learn it. I, I don't remember that. See, this is my wife is telling me. She said the amazing thing was I would come back after learning at uh, quarter to 11 after Marib, and she said, and you were pumped and energized and excited. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So uh, talk to me about as you had more children, did the Kfius at night, the two and a half hours at night, did that contract? And did it expand based on the needs and, of the and this, So yeah. So the answer is when the kids started getting older and there was a need for me to work with them on their homework and, and other things, I brought it down to about an hour and a half to two hours. So I'd say at least five years, a little more than that, it was down to about a, probably uh, an hour and a half to two hours. And then when my last, actually before, when four of my, four of my daughters were married and it got a little less pressure, I began bringing it back up to the two and a half hours. Uh-huh. And then eventually I brought her, of course, to the, to over three hours when I, had, uh, I started learning second sighter and that in the first sight. Amazing. I, I didn't think I would be able to do for it, quite honestly. But I decided to do second Seder. I said to my wife, I don't think I can sit from 3.30 to 6.45, three and a quarter hours a day and learn it. And learn it. I don't think I could do that. Anymore. And my wife said, gave me that courage. She said, if you want to do it, I know you, you'll be able to do it. Very nice. That, that's the supportive wife that is necessary. So w- w- when you're taking off that two and a half, three hours, four hours for learning, do you have your cell phone on you while you're learning? You may have demanding clients that want to reach you. And if you don't have that cell phone on you, have you lost business? Have you lost clients as a result of that learning? So the answer is... And I'll do two very funny stories in base matters, but generally my cell phone is on, is silenced, and I do not take out my cell phone. I do not take out a cell phone in the yeshiva. Uh, occasionally, when I know very important things are happening, I will keep it on vibrate, but that's the rare. I can't say that never happens. Uh, I can say that it never happens in the Mir Yeshiva and Yerushalayim here because you're not supposed to have phones in the base mattress. So therefore, I can tell you it never happened in the base mattress here. But in the United States, rarely I would have it. But my Everett Fabrusa, who always tells the story, uh, and most probably most people who are going to listen to this don't even know what I'm talking about, but the early, early uh, mobile phones, and I wouldn't even call them cell phones, were only in the car, and they were these big things that weighed about 10 pounds and looked the size of, uh, probably, uh, hate to compare it to it, the size of a Gemara. And they had very limited battery. And one night, I was expecting a very important call on a case, and I brought this gigantic contraption into the base madrash because I knew I was expecting this call. Whether it's right or wrong, we won't talk about about right now, but uh, actually brought it into the, but no, no one had cell phones. They didn't exist. So it wasn't like, you know, hey, you can't do a cell phone. That was very rare. And I brought it into the base madrash. And I then had to go to the restroom. And I said to my shmurza, if the phone rings, please pick it up. And he said, and he was so hoping it wouldn't ring that he would be so embarrassed by it. Uh, uh, and it's funny because he, he still tells that story, but we're talking about late 80s. One time ago, late eighties. And what, what base measures? What base measures do you learn in? So I am thrilled to have had the opportunity since 1984, 84, 85 year to learn in Yeshiva Shatur de Grotta, uh, which is in Kew Gardens. Uh, the Rosh Yeshiva currently is of Kalman Epstein, a prior Rosh Yeshiva of Zolig Epstein, one of the great Gedolei of the prior generation. Very nice. So it's a, it's a serious Yeshiva. Bring that phone in was a who <laughs> was looking at the burning bush. Yes, yes. It was, it was uh, probably, I should, in retrospect, I shouldn't have done it. I was, 
So the important message then is stay focused on the learning and uh, and that should be your focus at the time. And do, you, do you think you've lost clients? Have, there, have they been frustrated by being unable to reach you at those times? So I look at it in a way that uh, it says that by giving you, by giving my sir, you become and the uh, meaning, when you give stalker, it comes back to you. It comes back to you in in multiple in, in multiple layers. It's pains, as they say. So therefore, I have to believe that if I've lost business, I'm sure I've lost business. And I've not taken business where I felt it would interfere with my learning at times. Uh, so the answer is, did I probably, in the long run, I think the my success and my financial success and my and my professional success is because I'm learning that term. Not only does it sharpen the mind, but that is the I look at it as as the reward the Rabbi Shalom gives me. That's amazing. That now forty years in on the Kfius, what keeps you motivated? What keeps you going? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I'm going to tell a story. When I was about fourteen, fifteen years old, Rabbi Feinstein, the Godel of the door, the how would I explain it? Probably the greatest. American rabbi who lived in the, in, in the United States and the most, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, and one of the most important uh, contributors to modern Jewish law and halacha. And he was speaking in, on a military Shabbos on a Saturday night in Washington Heights. I was in the doorman MTA, and one of my rabbis said, said, the boys in the dorm, who wants to meet Rav Moshe will be able to meet him. Great honor. And I went with to this malach. The Balka, the Saturday night there. The festive meal that some people have. It was a fundraiser, the Yeshiv, I believe. That's by. And we lined up and we came there and we shook the hands of the, the greatest rabbi to say, you know, Shavuot Tov, have a good week. And each one of us shook his hand. And then he came to me and he said, uh, What's your name? But he didn't have any of the other place to name. And I looked there and I said, Yitzchak. He said, Yitzchak. Yitzchak what? I said, Yitzchak Shapsai. He said, Ben. I said, Hello Moshe. And he said, Yitzchak Shapsai, Ben, Hello Moshe. You'll always be Kobei Itamatera. You'll always set a time for learning Torah. I don't know if it was a bracha, an order, or a wish, but I hope from the depths of my heart that I've performed in life what he wanted me, what he wanted when he made that comment. It sounds like it was all of the above. Yeah, amazing story. And, uh, a prophetic statement by Rav Moshe Feinstein. Amazing. If somebody asks you, they're, they're coming out and uh, they're trying to decide on their kfiyas, and they ask you, is it easy? Is it hard? How challenging is this going to be for me? What What would you say? You know, everything in life is a challenge. Uh, and the, yes, this is a challenge. Definitely a challenge. It is not easy. But uh, when we have children, that's not easy. That's a demanding. Uh, that's demanding. And... When we get married, uh, that's also demanding. And when we take a job, it's demanding. And it's, it, it is not easy at times. I, I, I am sure, and there are times, you know, I, I, I both Hashem, but far and in between, but I get up in the morning and I say, I got to get to Yeshiva. Very seldom do I feel that way that I, you know, do, do it that way. Uh, my wife would say, uh, I, she sees me going out of the house with a smile and, 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 and a stride. And there is a certain very certain truth to it, and I come back very happy because I know um, doing for myself. Yeah, I'm not doing this for my I'm not doing this for my wife. I'm not doing it for my children. I'm doing it to build myself, and it makes me 
not only a better Jew, but a better person. Right. Very nice. So this is ab- ab- an absolutely critical question. Anyone who has a kvius, more so when it's at night. So you're a great person to ask this question because in the mornings, early mornings, you have less interference with events. For example, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, parent-teacher conferences. That stuff comes up fairly often, especially when people are raising children. So what what are the reasons that you said to yourself, that for this, I can miss my kvius? And practically speaking, to put you on the spot, how often did it happen that you had to miss your kvius? So I'll, I'll give a few examples uh, of what I of what I do. I'll start off when I was learning second seder, which doesn't get doesn't get over until six forty five, and I I never I guess I almost never attended a wedding that I got there before seven thirty eight o'clock eight thirty whatever. So I would wait to the end of seder. I maybe miss miss the chuppah. Uh, I would generally even when I had a wedding or a special event, I would make sure to at least put an hour in, an hour and a half. And it, 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 I can't say I never missed. And when I went on business trips, I used to learn over the phone. So if I go on a business trip, I have to be on a business trip. I would learn and I have learned uh, last year. Uh, you know, last year, I was learning first Seder in Israel and I had to go to London on a business trip. So I learned from, so I asked my Chavrusa, my study partner, if we could learn at night instead of in the morning. So I was learning in the morning. So we can learn at night. And therefore, from London, from nine o'clock at night till midnight, I was learning over the phone with my Fabusa. So I can't, I, I, so I, 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 you know, I, many times I would have to do that. Uh, my wife keeps a list, an amazing list, uh, where of all the times that I had a court hearing in the afternoon and I could, and I'd have to go and how many things got canceled at just, I forgot this, it got canceled. And one just happened this week. I was supposed to fly back to the United States for a court hearing on Tuesday, which would have meant I would have missed two days of learning for it. But I had a court hearing. I have to service my clients properly. And on Thursday afternoon, I got an email from the court that the judge thinks it's not feeling well, believes he has the flu, and he's going to do it over Zoom. So, perfect. Perfect. Right, perfect. So my wife can give you lists of these things of how many things went. I mean, she was just telling reminding me of a story today where I had to go out of town and my flight was going to come back that I would have missed learning. I would have come back late, would have missed learning that night. And I couldn't do it over the phone because I would be flying by the time I get here. Well, I get, I am. And I was like taking, say, a six o'clock flight that evening, though my business meetings were over at two o'clock and I theoretically could have made it in time back to New York. I was in Indianapolis, actually, back to New York for, for uh, Night Seder when I was flying Night Seder. And I get there at the airport and there was no, well, there was a flight at two o'clock and then at six. And then my, I get to the airport at around three o'clock and they said, my six o'clock flight's been canceled, which means I'm not going to get back at all. So I look up on the board. And I see that the two o'clock hasn't taken off yet. And it's final boarding. I run to the two o'clock because it's delayed. I run there to the final boarding. And I said, can I get on the plane? And they said, okay, we'll get you on standby. And I made my shaker. Beautiful. So I just think it's amazing. Divine intervention that was that, that the, that the, the, the God took care of me that I didn't miss Sadar many times. Right. right. So t- 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 during the Kfius, I'd love to hear about what you learn. Are you part of a uh, of a program going to Shirim, or is it Chavrusas? And if Chavrusas, how do you choose a good Chavrusa that's going to work out for you? So I'm going to do Afra Risha Barisha Meaning, your last question I'm going to answer first, and your first question I'm going to answer last. 
uh, I am I I am not of the age of anybody else in in, in the base Madras and Shaitara. Leave it at that. Other than people who are part of the administration, rebellion or shushis. There aren't people in their sixties sitting learning in the base Madras. These are all boys. Uh there's high school there, and I don't know about high school boys, but the base Madras and a Kaul where they're all in their upper teens, twenties, and thirties. Uh, and thirties are very few. So I have always learned, enjoyed learning with someone who is excited about their learning. When you're 50 years old, you're usually not, you, you enjoy the learning. You're not excited. You learn as if you're on the edge of your seat of learning something new every day and looking at that way. When you're 22 and you see a Kiddush and a Rosh, or you see a Kiddush and a Tosis, these are, uh, these are talking about the, uh, the early commentators on the Talmud. Okay. There's an excitement of that. And I right now learning with a young man, a Kylo guy who's 31 years old. I'm over double his age. I have always learned with, virtually always learned with guys in their 20s and 30s. Because of the excitement factor. Excitement factor. It really is excitement factor. And one, one converse of mine is just the up. He was in Kylo. I learned with him four and a half years. We learned four and a half years straight in Kylo. And then he decided he was so, he decided he wanted to go to law school. And I tried to talk him out of it. It's staying in Kylo learn. But he went to law school. And when he was in law school, we used to learn, even though I was learning second Seder at that time, but my kids were out of the house. So I was able to learn a little at night as well, in addition to second Seder. And I used to learn one or two nights a week with him at night. And eventually he became a, a, law, a lawyer in my law firm. No, oh, they're out right now practicing in my law firm. And you guys learn all day together instead of practicing law. <laughs> well, no. He, he's, he's practicing law. I'm learning. He, he doesn't have a boss that lets him get away with it. I get away. But, uh, but, but, but seriously, so how do I get a chaburusa? I look around and I find young guys. Now, right now, I am learning in a chaburusa. Uh, a koilu chaburusa of 70 guys in their 20s and 30s at the Mirishin. As I said, I'm double the age of the, I'm double the age of the, or almost double the age of the, uh, of the next oldest guy after, after I, after me. So I'm learning in that Kabura now for, uh, since uh, the beginning, uh, since right after a month, two weeks, a week after circus. I'm learning that Kabura and I love it. And I go to the Shira, the Shira once a week. And also every five weeks, I have to give a Kabura. That means each member of the Kabura has to now give a Shira. That you have to protect, that you have to prepare for. When I was in Shatara, and I learned first and second Seder in Shatara, which I'll be doing at God willing, it's Hashem come after Pesach, the summer spot, I was part of a Chabura that learned. When I learned at night, generally, it was just finding a Chabrusa, a Bachar, Yeshiva, that, that was interested in learning, and we decide what we're going to learn. Quite to give a story, I was talking about Rizal, I had a Chabrusa. He was in Kailu. I'd learned with him for a number of years. He was a Kailu in Shartar. I was learning with him nights. And he had also gotten a degree from Turo so that, that he'd eventually be able to work in computers. Really brilliant guy in computers, but he was learning. And he came to me and he said, I, I want to give you notice. This was in uh, probably uh, right around Purim time, probably before Purim. I want to give you notice that after the summer, I'll learn with you this month. I'm going to learn with you summer's month. But after the summer, I'm going to go out and work. I want to go out and work. I'm, I'm not going to continue forever in Kailu. I just want to give you a, you know, a advance warning that I'm leaving Kailu. That time, I was, I was, not only was I a lawyer, I, but I also was involved in a company that did certain services in the field. You mentioned the transportation insurance that did certain consulting work. 
and we had a computer staff. And he said to me, uh, and he said to me, you know, and he told me he's leaving. And all of a sudden, the guy in the computers gave us notice he was quitting, and we needed a guy who he would fit the perfect job for him. My problem is, do I take him away from learning six months early? The job wasn't going to be there. Perfect job for him. Do I give him a a pardosa, a way to make a living, but I'm going to take him away from learning six months early? And I debated it, and I went and spoke to his father because I didn't want his father to be upset with me for taking him away from learning early. And I then went to Epstein, one of the Gedele Adore, which I talked about, Rosh Hashimba. And I asked him, should I make him the offer or not? So Ravzelik said to me, is he learning well now or is he not? Is he really learning well or is he not learning? Now I asked you the question, think about this. If a person is learning well, would you think I should make him the offer or not? And that makes learning the offer, keep, keep him there. But now that you asked me that question, it's probably that if he's learning well and on a strong note. Ravzelik, exactly the opposite, but this is what a goggle, this is what a great mind does. So Ravzelik said to me, if he's learning well, make him the offer. If he's not learning well, then maybe let him sit and learn another six months that he'll learn well. Why? He said, if he's learning well, he will end off beginning to work and always be eat to Matera because he's going to end off at his loving of learning. And therefore, he's learning well, make him the offer. I made him the offer, and this is now over over 20 years, over 20 years ago, and he is a base magician at night learning after work. What a brilliant insight, Rav Zelig. That's brilliant. Thank you. Well, uh, Mr. Lipsius, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, very important information and, and uh, call a kavod to you for the consistency and, and the commitment that you've had to be Kovea eating the Torah. And it's certainly something all of us out here should be emulating. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Joining us now is Doron Lazarus. Doron is a sleep coach helping those in need of his services, and he also founded the Sleep Coach Academy to coach the coaches in their efforts in helping people sleep well. Doron, thank you so much for joining us. Ari, thank you so much for having us. It's really a pleasure to be here. So talk to us first about what you do as a sleep coach. People have a need sleeping. I don't sleep well. I sleep poorly. Is that what you tend to handle? And uh, how broad are the services? Sure. That's a great question. We live in a very sleep-deprived generation. And it's something that a lot of, I mean, I don't think there's one family uh, that can say that everyone is sleeping great from insomnia, sleeping pills, anxiety, stress snoring, apnea, nightmares, chronic exhaustion. These are kind of the broad range of issues. We have a holistic approach of how we you know, really try to heal body, mind, and soul all together, really help people get their sleep back and their health and their life because of it. All right, terrific. So we're going to get to Kobe Team Latora shortly because uh, what we've heard on this show a number of times, sleep is critical, obviously, but morning learning is the best time to learn. That's what we've heard. Obviously, that's going to be a subjective thing. So we're going to get to that shortly. I'd like to start out with a more broad question, not specifically about learning of Torah. How much sleep does somebody need in order to function well? Is that objective? Is that subjective? And how do you determine what my number is? That's a great question, Ari. We even see from early on the Paiskim, the Rishonim are grappling with this question. Is it six hours? Is it eight hours? You know, the, the Gon got two hours. My personal perspective is that it is a completely subjective question. And even for, for ourselves, it depends on different times and stages of our life. Some people can thrive on five or six. Some people really need eight or nine. And I really think a person has to ask themselves, try it out. 
and to know, do I feel run down through the day? Do I feel groggy? Do I feel irritable? Those are all signs that you're not getting enough sleep. And I think sleep is a very important thing at that point to invest in. And then titrate. I don't believe that everyone needs eight or eight or nine hours of sleep. I think people oftentimes can do and survive and thrive with a lot less. And I think every individual at different stages in their life, at different ages, based on what's going on in life, have to ask that question. What is the sweet spot for me to get the ideal number of sleep, but at the same time, not waste my time and be the most productive that I can? Okay, very good. So this is a less commonly asked question. Oftentimes people say, how many hours do you sleep? I once read an article on the necessity, or I don't know if it's a necessity, but the, the ideal to sleep at consistent times. And when it was talking about going to sleep at approximately the same time and waking up approximately at the same time. And what was fascinating, I get that, is the article said that uh, the study uh, came out that it should be as well on the weekends. And people typically have a very different sleep schedule on, on the weekends. And if we're uh, up early at five in the morning, six or seven in the morning, whatever it may be during the week becomes Shabbos, the mitzvah, midel rice, the most you know the most important mitzvah in the world is sleeping on Shabbos, on Shabbos, as opposed to waking up at the same time, and we can get a couple hours of learning in before davening, and same with Sunday. So, what, what's your take on the uh, desire, the ideal of having consistent sleep times, and uh, I guess a related question: people trying to make up sleep deficits on the weekend. So does that work? But talk about about the, the need or the desire to have consistency in sleep patterns. Great. Uh, Ari, thank you for that question. It's a great question as well. So overall, as a general principle, yes, we should strive to get more or less approximately the same bedtime and the same wake-up time throughout the week and the weekend. But, and here's a big but, number one, many people struggle with anxiety. They become obsessed about their sleep and obsessed about their need to sleep. And therefore, the more rigid they are with their bedtime, they actually worse their sleeping. They almost create the very thing that they're trying, they create the problem that they're trying to solve. So just, I want to put that right out there. Many of my clients tried the very strict sleep regimen and it actually makes the issue worse. So if you are struggling with anxiety, this is not the approach for you. Assuming that anxiety is not the primary issue, I think just as the Rambam says in Shemayna Prakim, the middle of the road path is best. That yes, all else being equal, it's good to have an approximate wait, you know, bedtime and wake up time. So if you're a, let's say a 10 to 5 person during the week, then on the weekend, I would say, you know, with the Shabbos, range within one hour of that bedtime and wake up time. So you know, you don't have to go to bed exactly at 10. You don't have to, you know, you sho shove your guests out the door and say, that's it, I got to get to bed. But I would say by 11 would be a healthy time to get to bed. And then if you wake up on five during the week, wake up at six, I personally believe if you sleep until seven, it's totally fine as well. I think it's important for people to be flexible where people really kind of get caught off guard if during the week they're at 10 to five and then come, I don't know, Friday night, Saturday night, whatever it is, then they're going to bed at, you know, two, three in the morning and they're sleeping until 11 o'clock, call it a teenager, whoever it is, that really throws a person off that much. Oftentimes you wake up so groggy and disoriented and you feel exhausted because your body is so out of whack with its own sleep cycle. So I think a, a healthy flexibility around a normal sleep cycle is good um, and expected. 
um, but not to not to overdo that. Okay, so so far we've talked about how much to sleep, and that's going to be subjective. You need to be honest with yourself and know yourself. We talked about consistency, and as long as we're not talking about anxiety, we should have some consistency in our sleep, but don't go overboard. And and now the next question. Oftentimes when we talk about Kovei the Torah, especially in the morning time, some people respond, I'm not a morning person. I can't do that. I'm a night owl. I'm a night person. I can't wake up that early. I know the morning cola meets at 5.30 or 6 or 7. And there's no way I can do that. I just know myself. And the question is, is there is there scientific reality? Is there a scientific basis to that claim? I am not a morning person or is that person simply making excuses for not waking up early, maybe being lazy or something like that? Or, or is that a real thing? I am not a morning person. Great question. I think the answer is somewhat of both. We There is an objective sleep personality that people have. Some people, just like we said, some people need less sleep and some people need more sleep. Some people biologically are night owls. They thrive in the night. That's the time that they're most on, they're most clear, and they're not necessarily morning people. And on vice versa, you have some people, myself personally, come 10 o'clock at night, melatonin just starts kicking in and my brain is just fuzzy. I'm not really there. I'm not able to learn um, the great amount of clarity, but I know personally my morning hours are best and that's a personality type. And just as with everything, I think it makes sense for people to embrace their sleep personalities and not always trying to fight them. If someone is a night person, so, you know, the Rambam says that the Kesser Taira is, uh, you know, acquired by learning every night. And that's a fantastic thing. And for those people who have that personality, let them embrace those night hours as opposed to fighting and trying to be someone which their natural sleep personality is not. That's what I would say. Right. But it, it, let's say that the, the real learning opportunities are the morning. You have uh, a cola booker and you're excited to learn there, but it's not in your uh, ideal or at probably your possible sleep, uh, you know, possible awake time. But you want to change. You want to change. I want to go from being a night person to a morning person. So is there a way to do that? Is there a process to go through maybe a minute a day or five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day in order to try to be uh, go, go through that uh, process, that sleep conversion process, just to coin a phrase? Sure. Yes, no, definitely there is is an adjustment just as with a personality type. You know, if someone is angry or they're hot-headed or they're jealous, we can work on bringing that down. We can work on bringing that more to mainstream. So too, if one wants to shift their circadian rhythm, and oftentimes people have to do this, they're shift workers, they, you know, their schedule is not necessarily in their own hands. There is a way, I would say, between 15 to 30 minutes a week to kind of shift your sleep schedule. It starts off, it doesn't really start in the morning. If you're, if the game starts struggling to get out of bed or your alarm goes off at 5.30, you've already lost. It really starts the day before and the night before setting up that you're having a proper wind down time, giving yourself time in the dark. You know, we're so used to having fluorescent lights on constantly to be able to dim the lights, give the body natural cues, not eating too close to bed, not having any stressful conversations or events, shutting off the technology an hour or two before bed. All of those things are healthy to help get the body ready to go to bed earlier. And yes, there is a certain amount of discipline that's required in that, especially if people are naturally night owls. But I do believe that people are able to create that bedtime routine to get the body tired earlier in a gentle and incremental way as the weeks go on. And then that'll make the naturally the morning waking time a lot easier to do. There's a lot of interesting technological pieces now, um, alarm clocks that kind of sense which stage of sleep you're in. They start emitting light to naturally wake your body up. So if one is interested in those gadgets, there is a lot coming on the market to be able to help people adopt and embrace the morning. 
Now, that's interesting. That leads to, to my next question. What you're saying basically is set yourself up for success. Don't think you're going to be able to wake up early in the mornings without going to sleep early the night before and setting yourself up in a way that you'll be well rested and be able to get up. Now, I, I know a number of people that have a difficult time waking up. They may not even hear the seven or 30 alarms they slip set and they're going off and they're loud and they have these ringing alarms and these jumping around alarms and these motion jumping, you know, these vibrating alarms and like the whole house can be shaking and they're not waking up. So the question is, how does somebody who really doesn't hear the alarm, how do they get themselves out of bed in the morning? How do, is there a way to teach yourself to hear an alarm? I mean, if you're a really deep sleeper, is there a way to teach yourself, oh, that's alarm and not build it into your dream that, oh, there's a, there's a phone ringing, there's an alarm going off in my dream and realize that it's really something that's there that would wake you up and you do want to wake up ultimately and you regret not waking up, but uh, it's very difficult to make those analysis when you're in the middle of sleep. Right. Yeah. There's a, a whole category of people I work with that are in this uh, space. Oftentimes, I find most commonly teenage boys um, that are often good boys. They they want to get up. They want to make it to Shafras. They want to make it to Morning Seder, but they just can't hear their alarm for the life of them. They cannot wake up in the morning. Um. So, you know, again, that's a, I'm assuming that there's nothing serious and medical going on, which one would definitely want to get checked out. But assuming normal uh, young man or young lady or, or older person for that matter, they just can't hear their alarm. So I'll share with you the following thought. Their, their brain hears the alarm. It's not like they have a hearing problem that they can't hear it. What's happening is subconsciously, their brain is tuning it out the way that it does all sounds you know, that we hear. As if, you know, are you might appreciate this, like a young father might just not hear the baby crying in the middle of the night. Because his brain is kind of, he hears it. All the brain waves are going in, but subconsciously he's kind of filtered out. Like, you know, if I just keep my eyes closed, maybe my wife will take care of the baby and I can get a few more minutes of sleep. So, you know, we all kind of play that game of what we choose to hear or not. So really the question will come, how do we train the brain or the subconscious mind to then wake up and respond to the stimulus that we give it? Um, and that's oftentimes in an area that I'm working with in hypnosis. Hypnosis really is restructuring and rewiring the subconscious mind to be able to respond differently. Um, that's usually the tool of choice that I will use. And, you know, sometimes one has to ask, is it a lack of motivation? I say I want to go to chakras, but I really no, don't want to go to chakras and I'm trying to self-sabotage myself. Sometimes it's kind of deeper psychological issues for why we don't get out of bed in the morning. Um, but that's really what I would, you know, that's where I feel the, the effort needs to be had. Well, that's fascinating, working with people on training them to really hear the alarm, not just listen, not just to hear, but to listen to the alarm and get out of bed. Uh, another question for you, last question, what's your thoughts on the power nap? You know, I've found sometimes that if you sleep five or 10 minutes, it, it may be more effective than a two-hour nap. So the power nap, is that something that is commonly used and is that something that, that really is effective for people? I think power naps and naps in general are great. I think many people are kind of bought into the Western model that I need to get eight hours of sleep from 10 to six. And that's the model that fits everyone. And it's just not the truth. We know famously the Gras, he had, you know, four uh, half an hour power naps uh, in a 24 hour period. And that was enough to keep him going. Obviously, he was exceptional in that regard. But I think everybody, if you're able to get five or 10 minutes, I know that can be very refreshing and very efficient. 
let's say one gets, you know, five or six hours at night and they know that's really not enough for them for the whole day, but they have the opportunity to just close their eyes and they're able to fall asleep quickly. I think it's an amazing, efficient way. Naps can be life-changing and really help people give them the stamina, give them the concentration, especially in those post-lunch afternoon hours. Um, getting a short nap can really be able to be a game changer in terms of their productivity and their focus. Very good. Do people want to reach you? Because there are a lot of people who have sleep issues. Uh, how do people contact you? They can go on my website, executivesleep.org. Or if they're interested in becoming a sleep coach, they can visit sleepcoachacademy.org. Thank you so much for joining us. It's actually a perfect way to end the show. Everyone is capable of being Kovayitim the Torah. Day and night, but the morning time, as we've heard on the show, is really the ideal. So even those people who are night owls, you can change and you can become a morning person and join that local Chabura have that chavrusa, go to the Dafyomi, whatever it takes to wake up early and learn Tara Doron. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ari. It was a real pleasure.